Hello, thank you for listening to the Cars and Talkie podcast, the podcast that records conversations from cars and coffee events. This weekend, I'm back in Birmingham, Alabama, where Cars and Talkie got its start. Um, I'm sitting down with Josh Buchanan, the organizer of the weekly Cars and Coffee event, and uh, we talk about just some cars that were at the event, some car news, um, some of his car stories throughout his life, and um, and just have a great conversation. This is the Cars and Talkies longest episode, so I hope you enjoy it. Give us some feedback as far as how long the format was um, so we can improve it in the future. Thanks for listening. As best as I could. Um, have you listened to any of the, any of the episodes I put out? Mm-hmm. Have you listened to any of the, the podcasts uh, I put no, out? No, I'm sorry to say that no, I have I, not. <laughs> this is like episode number four, so it's not like... Well, you can guarantee I'm going to listen to this one. Yeah. Um, yeah. The last one that we recorded, I, I did it with a buddy of mine from high school, and we went to the Biloxi Cars and Coffee. Oh, nice. And they, there's like a quarterly type of thing, um, which sucks because we don't, we don't have anything like monthly or even weekly, which I'm trying to change down there and everything right now. But um, there was probably 400 cars that came out to it. There was a lot. Yeah. And it was a morning, like, morning meet, 8 a.m., but by 9.30, the cops were already there, and there was, like, burnouts and stuff happening. And so and we managed to get, like, a bench right on the main street leading into the event that uh, we were able to just, like, commentate on, like, all the stuff kind of going on around <laughs> us and everything. Well, the once-a-month ones, they always uh, draw a bigger crowd because it uh, it becomes more of an event. Right. Whereas, you know, the weekly ones is more of a hangout. As you can see, you got people coming and going constantly. And yeah. It's a way more relaxed uh, atmosphere. Uh, I think also, too, the weekly ones, you're more likely to see a bigger diversity because you do have people that are coming through town. And, like, this, for instance, this weekend, there's a lot of new faces I haven't seen before. Right. And I think that... Uh, you know, things like the barber race and things like that do bring people in. It's always fun to see and get to meet those people as well. But yeah, uh, as far as burnouts go, that is a problem with any event well, you have. This one, <laughs> this one, you I mean all through like college and stuff when I was here, it, this has always remained like really mild, really quiet. Like, you know, some revving happens sometimes and everything. Yeah. But and we do have our fair shares of burnouts every now and then. And, right. You know, we. If I see it, I try to always approach the guy and tell him, like, hey, you can't do that here. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's the reason why we've lost locations before is because yeah. people act, uh, acting uh, acting up and, you know, wanting to show out and things. There's a time and a place for that, but it's definitely not here on public roads. Okay. Um, yeah, it's – and that's the thing that sucks. That all There's no one that gets on board with, like, the morning stuff mm-hmm. down, where, down where I live because – Everyone can go out and do night meets, and they can be rowdy and crazy, and it's you know unsanctioned, and like it, it just turns into a nightmare. And I, well, some of those hoonigans like to sleep in late, so yeah, right. <laughs> that, that works to our benefit. Uh, many, uh, much more, of the adults tend to get up early and come out, you know, and, right. And plus, more likely, you're more likely to be seen and pointed out at uh, ten in the morning versus ten at night. Yeah, so. exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's a good like selection and array of cars down there though and then the the quarterly meets that happen they just bring out a lot of cars from like along the florida coast and sure. everything and mm-hmm. um but i always loved the this event and even though like weekly you know it happens so regularly but you never know what's going to come it's not like the same crowd of oh, like absolutely. 10 to 15 people yeah. there's always a good variety to it mm-hmm. and everything and um 
it's the whole reason why I want to start the podcast is because just ha- everyone having conversations, everyone talking with each other and everything. And Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it's one of the things that I've always tried to foster with this one. I, I tell guys all the time, uh, guys and girls, it's like, look, even if you don't have a car, just come out for the social aspect. Right. You know, don't feel bad if all you have is a, you know, mid-2000s daily driver that's nothing special to look at. Yeah. Park, get out, talk, conversate. Right. You know? Yeah. It's a great place for people to, uh, to network. And, you know, it, it doesn't matter your college sports alliance or, or your political views and all that. No, you relate on cars here, yeah. and it's a good, even playing ground for everyone. And, uh, you know, frankly, the majority of the friends that I've made since moving to Birmingham have come directly from Cars and Coffee. The guys right. that I hang out on yeah. a daily basis have come to this, and I want that to be for other people, too, right. you know. So, again, you know, guy, girl, doesn't matter your age, come out, talk, conversate. You know, I haven't really met anyone out here that's just been – a jerk, so to yeah. speak. <laughs> yeah. It's easy to talk with these people because you're already relating on some type of common ground. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and everyone's always super, like, respectful. You know, people start – usually one car will draw, draw a crowd, and then two people who haven't talked to each other will start talking. They're like, what car did you bring here? What did yeah, you bring here? Absolutely. And it's like, oh, my car's down there. And someone's like, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I was standing here – uh, a Mystachrome uh, Mustang just drove by. That uh, Terminator? Yes. Oh, that thing was beautiful. Yeah. I've never been a huge Mustang guy, but those Terminators in that color, that's, yes. uh, that's an amazing ride. There's – and I – I think there was twice as many convertibles built as coupes for that year because I swear it's always convertibles that you see. Yeah, like, that's that's it. And then of course half of them are like really ratty, like you know, beat up. Yellow is the worst color for them. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, the funny thing about those cars that once upon a time they were just a car. So a lot yeah. of guys bought those to build them. You know, little did we know that one day those would be a desirable model, and especially in the in that color right i mean i yeah. get excited when he pulled up i saw that color i beelined it over there started taking as many photos i could yeah and i was so happy to 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 hear the owner say you know how he's maintained it yeah he done oh, it's crazy it's pristine though it is. i mean it was it in so perfect clean. condition he did the normal mods like uh intake and he, he did the shifter which is a big thing on those cars yeah uh, the, the shifter from the factory does not allow speed shifting so yeah one of the most popular things those guys do right out the market shifter just put that shifter in there that way you can slam the gears and everything yeah. so uh but the great thing about that too is it's reversible it's yeah. not a permanent thing yeah you can exactly. always go yeah, back, you can always go you know. back to stock <clears throat> but the crazy thing about that is too even though it's in convertible those things are still pulling in great money i mean yeah they it's not. It's not a surprise to see one of those Mister Chrome's convertible, even automatic, for sixty thousand dollars. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because yeah. it, it's so special. Oh yeah. Very rarely do you see a manufacturer release such a crazy color. Now it's a little more common these days, mm-hmm. but we're talking about early two thousands. Who else was doing that? Right. You know? Well, and that was the thing that makes it so much easier to do nowadays is that you have a much more easy digital ordering platform that allows customers to have a lot of feedback as far as like how their cars are looking, how right. they're ordering them mm-hmm. and stuff. Back then, it was a much slower process, and it was much easier for a dealer or manufacturer to have a build sheet that was limited to 10 to 15 colors. And so they had to put something on there. And when you're reading Mystachrome on a sheet, you don't know what that's going to end up looking like. And plus, the majority of the cars uh, purchased were purchased by dealers. And yep. we all know that they love to purchase silver, white, and black. Yes, you know what I mean? Exactly. So yeah. it's like, because that moves, anybody likes that. And oh, yeah. Chrome takes a little more uh, of uh, <laughs> a little more of a chance to, you know, this may or may not move. I know that the the, the R34s, Nissans, they had a color that was very similar to that, too. 
Same thing with those. R34s are ludicrously expensive. However, you find one in that color, you know, yep. your Stratosphere car. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, back to it, though, it's, uh, you know, you also take a risk owning that car in the fact that if you damage a panel, yeah. you pretty much got to repaint the whole thing. Yeah. You know, to, to get lucky enough to match that color to the rest of it. Right. You know, so. Well, and the, um, the, the paint mixture for it is somewhat of a secret. So there's only a handful of people across the country that actually have access to the correct paint and the amount of it to be able right. to, to do it. Um, uh, yeah, there's a reason why uh, color flip cars are not mass produced. It's, uh, <laughs> well, even with my car, with that Austin Yellow, yeah. uh, if you go online, you'll see pages of people that have bought the CS hood or got yeah. a body kit on there, and they'll pick them up, drive them out in sunlight, and you're like, you can clearly see that does not match on there. It takes yeah. uh, it takes a certain amount of talent to get it, and oftentimes guys wind up getting them repainted just for that color. So. There is a you know a catch twenty two to having a fun color, which right. I'm all for. Yeah, you know it's the fact that if anything ever happens, good luck getting it yeah. <laughs> getting it painted correctly. There's a reason why the vast majority of paint to sample colors through Porsche are non metallic. Yes, it's because it's much easier to repair and repaint if something were to happen to it. Well, and that's why you see PPF getting so popular now. Yeah. you know you can save yourself that. Granted. That, too, has gone up substantially lately. Uh, I was just at one of the local vendors, and they were wrapping a, uh, a GT2 there. And uh, just casually talking, I was like, well, how much does something like this cost? You know, I was expecting twelve, thirteen hundred, six thousand yeah. dollars $1,300. to do that. Right. So I'm thinking when I if I ever do that I am going to uh, I'm just going to Google how to do it myself. Yeah. No, it, it's insane. I remember when, you know, what was it you know five seven years ago when wrapping was really like the big thing that had started it was like mm-hmm. you can customize it. it's really easy but no one was ever saying like oh it's the more cost effective way of changing the color of your car and then people started realizing that it costs about the same as certainly a paint job if you if you need to go and, and repaint your car especially if you get the jams and the underhood right. and all that done yeah, yeah. it's it's to properly do it um, I was at that same vendor, and uh, they had a FRS that was uh, getting rewrapped. Uh, guy wanted to uh, change the color up, and they had the car completely a- apart because you know, yeah. in order to properly do it, you have to remove the door knob or the door handles, and the- and this one actually required you to pull the inner door all the way apart. Yeah, just to so wrap it all the way ex- around. Yeah, yeah. It extra. So it's you know to do it right to to, to trick people into thinking it's paint. It's a lot more involved yes. with it uh, yeah. than, than a lot of people realize. So. Um, something I saw recently that was really interesting with, like, wrapping and paint protection film is that they're starting to put, uh, like, ceramic coatings on the film mm-hmm. so that you don't have to worry about, because that was a big thing in protecting the uh, the vinyl was getting it ceramic coated because there's, nothing much, there's not much of a protective layer on the vinyl right. itself to prevent from fading and all that stuff. But now with the ceramic coating that comes on it, it's... You barely have to detail the car. It makes it much more easier to keep clean and everything. Absolutely. When I uh, now I have wrapped a car many many years ago. This uh, I'm going to date myself, but back in yeah. 2002 in college, I uh, I had a Civic and uh, and we wrapped it. And I actually me and two other guys did the whole car in an afternoon, and it it turned out fantastic. It, you know, just being patient with it and having the proper tools to set it up. Now, uh, I had it wrapped for a good four or five years until I uh, got damaged to the front bumper, and it never faded. I treated it like paint. I mean, right. you could apply wax to it. It was a 3M on there. Yeah. And when we pulled that vinyl off, the paint on there looked 
factory fresh. It was like I had a whole new paint job, you know. Yeah. To the point where people that had only known the car wrapped saw it like that. As soon as I had a paint job on, I was like, nope, just remove the vinyl. So yeah. It's uh, it definitely saved that car uh, from a lot, especially you know Hondas. The the front bumper being so low, those things just rash up. Yeah. Like crazy. So oh yeah. It was really nice uh, to have it. Uh, uh, what felt like then uh, an all new car again. So. Right. Um, yeah, and I think there's been a um, an increase, I would say, in cars, you know, high-end, like, um, luxury cars, exotic cars that are ordered in black, or they're just looking for a black car because it's much easier to wrap one of those. You don't have to do the full color change and worry about the door jams and stuff. Black tends to kind of just blend in with things. Mm-hmm. And it allows for someone to get a car, wrap it the color that they want, save a little bit of money on it, and then take it off, and they've got a brand-new car underneath when it's time to sell it. Yeah, makes absolutely. It makes it much easier. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was a really interesting like graph that I saw the other day that was shared on a Facebook group of um, the most common colors of cars registered like each year for the past like 10, 15 years. And it showed them, you know, in all the different variations, you know, your your yellows and reds and stuff like that are, are really limited. And then you get down towards the black, white, and gray. And the amount of gray cars in the market over the past like five years has doubled in size and there's almost it, it looked like there were more gray cars registered around the road than black cars um yeah and, it, and if you think about it, i mean all these manufacturers have just gray cars everyone's going for the nardo gray look and everything yes yes i was just about to say that but i think that too they probably bunch in a bunch uh, uh several different shades of gray right and it becomes a bigger category yeah but just like you said thanks to aldi and that chrysler's got that color too and so does uh, several other manufacturers. That's hugely popular yeah. now. Well, That's Kia now al- too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean it's almost replacing silver. We were yeah. just talking about this moments ago about you know I mean we've got that uh, Lamborghini Ultimate that's got he I asked him the color code he said <laughs> Battleship Gray. Which I don't think that's right, but uh, yeah. then the RS7, I think it is over there. That's yep. uh, that's the Nardo Gray. And then any other given weekend, you'll see shades of gray. Well, I mean, the GT2 RS. Right. That. that was, was like a one. flat gray. It on was. That one, so. Yeah, that one's the um, chalk, I believe, is the yes, color Yes, I believe proportion. they call it. Yeah. But you have to believe that probably gets, that gets bundled into the rest of them. Cause, yeah. Oh, know, yeah. Chalk, if you're talking, you couldn't even use that as a percentage. You could use that as the actual number. <laughs> right. 30 or whatever it, there are. Yeah. <laughs> those on there, so... But, uh, yeah, beautiful cars. I don't know if I'd personally get that. I think that that's a trend Mm -hmm. more than a a, a staple color. But, I mean, you know, only time will tell. But a lot of guys are ordering their cars with that. uh, I mean, you know, again, back to Dodge. They got a guy I used to work with had a Dodge Durango in that color. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I when I got my Volkswagen in the like metallic gray color, the thing I love the most about it is how easy it is to keep it looking clean. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it I, I can go a, an absurd amount of time without really having to pay too close attention. A lot of a lot of loud cars are leaving right now. Yeah. Um, a GTO, like matching yeah. GTOs, two of yeah. them. It's got a nice lope to it. Yeah. Um. Those are fantastic cars. Even to this day, a lot of people, um, a lot of people didn't like them because they 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 said they looked too much like the Cavaliers. But yeah, you can't right. argue with the performance, especially the uh, second year model when they shoved the uh, LS twos in it versus the LS ones. Right, they were just fantastic cars. Well, they're they're a smaller, uh, I'm assuming lighter weight version of a Camaro. 
you know, and, and the amount of power that you can get out of them is incredible. And they're rare. They're special. You don't see them too often. And it's Pontiac. They're not around, so. Right, it, right. I mean, and then you had the uh, G8 that came after that, and then back to the Chevy SS. And you, uh, and in between there, you had the, uh, the Chevy, um, what was it, the cop car only one? The Caprice. Caprice, yes, yes. the Caprice. Which, funny enough, uh, a guy had come out in one of those recently. Really? Yeah. Police auction car, which, you know, yeah. that's the only way you could really acquire them. But they're a V8 rear-wheel drive. Right. Yeah. So they were detuned. Yes. But, I mean, come on. It's a GM LS-based car. Yeah. You, how much is it to really? You put a blower on it and it, for less than three grand, and, and you've, you've got, got a completely unique car. You yeah. show up with a crowd of G8s and SSs and uh, GTOs, and you pull up in that, people are going to look at that and say, holy crap, you know. Right. You got something we don't have. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's just... Uh, it's a shame that they don't have anything like that anymore. And you know, your your manufacturers are really going away from uh, V8 sedans that are performance oriented. Sure, you've got turbo ones like and the like, but you know, a lot of these cars you could have NA V8s with a manual transmission. And I mean, who's doing that right. anymore? You know, yeah. the crazy thing is, you can you can go and order a a Camaro, one uh, SS, you know, one LE. V8 rear-wheel drive with a manual Mm -hmm. for under 50 grand. They're still a phenomenal performance car for the money. Absolutely. They just get overlooked. Absolutely. And And I don't think people are appreciating what they are. Right. I mean, granted, I I will admit that there is something, you you do get a different feel from a a German sports sedan or, uh, I mean, even a Japanese one with the Lexus and stuff like that. Yeah. that you just don't get with it, but who uh, you know we're going to miss them when they're gone. Front engine, rear wheel drive, V eight, yep. naturally aspirated. Uh, yet granted, you look around every corner, and half the general public couldn't tell the difference between a V six Camaro and a ZL one. Right, so they do blend in, unfortunately. Yeah, but those guys that have the ZL ones or the one LEs or the you know Mustang Cobras or, or what have you, which I know those are only automatic now. Yeah, uh, you know, they and Corvettes they, now too. They get a truly <laughs> a, a really great uh, driving experience that rivals any of the Germans. Right? You know what I mean, it's it's the the feel and the power and all that is not missing. It's just because of the shell that the drivetrain is put in. Yeah. that people frankly look down on. Yeah, you can't you can't go and get. You know, most of the German manufacturers have their sort of three levels, their base level, the sport, and then the high-end sport level mm-hmm. of each each model that they make. And you, you, can, you can hardly even get into the midline sport level for what you can for a V8, you know, performance car out Absolutely. of an American manufacturer. Yeah, and, and I, I, you know, don't get me wrong when I say look down. Don't, there's plenty of followers <laughs> that, that have these and that appreciate them. Right. But I think that if we're talking about a casual car enthusiast that's taking photos of cars, he's more likely to take pictures of the M5 or the E63 yep. versus the 1LE or the what. Yeah. You know, that's what yeah. I mean when I say that. Yeah, yeah. So I, they, yep. they just feel special. They kind of look a little more special because they're, you know, they're not made here. But. Right. I'm sure it's probably uh, flipped the complete opposite over in Europe. <laughs> oh, absolutely, you know. absolutely. I can only speak from an American point of view. Yes. And it is funny how when you, uh, if you're on any of the automotive forums and stuff like that, and people post photos of things they spotted, 
that a lot of times if they're in Sweden or the UK or something like that, it is of a Camaro. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like when we, you know, if we saw Renault Clio or something like that over here. Oh, yeah, we'd lose our minds. Look at this. Yeah. Who gives a shit? Like like, uh, sometimes out at the uh, Magic City Octane, the Seat Cupra that will show up. Yeah, Uh, or the guy that's got the the Focus RS, the previous Gen one. I just saw that that was out at the last one, and that was insane. That is. That is a uh, that is a Mexican driver from Mexico. Super nice guy. I yeah. love talking to him, and I, I love that he comes out and shares his car. But you know, to me, that that's so special because he could pull up in a parking lot full of focuses and guaranteed oh, he's not yes. going to have anything else. And it was never sold here. He's allowed to drive it here because he bought it in Mexico and brought it here. Yeah, so. <clears throat> yeah. There was, I mean, hardly any of those made. They were so extremely rare, and then we never got them here. So right. seeing stuff like that is is so cool. Um, and you just don't get it very often. The other funny thing is that I see a lot is people in Europe um, finding, like, U.S. trucks. You know, yes. like, like uh, Germans love a Dodge Ram for some reason. <laughs> um, and they're like, these things don't fit on our roads. Why would someone want to drive uh, them? Did you see that video of the uh, German guy in his TRX going around the Nuremberg ring? Yes. Yeah, bombing around the ring? I was yes. like, it's just a riot. That big, essentially monster truck that weighs six tons right. around about, you know, out there with Porsches and BMW stuff like that, just bombing around it, you know, uh, you know, hands down. That's uh, you're I an admit, enthusiast. That's really cool, you're yeah. enthusiast if you have one of those over yes. there because you really have to go through a lot to get it. You have to imagine the tax you pay. Now, they're already expensive trucks, right? And any dealer is going to have markup, but over there, it's yeah. got to be prohibitively expensive. Yes. You have to seek that out. Oh yeah, you're paying supercar money for something Absolutely. like that over there. Absolutely, for you know, was essentially a novelty. Gets terrible fuel economy. Yeah, in, in a part of the world where the gas is already hyper expensive. Right, you know? and and the tax on something with horrible fuel economy yes. is yes. you know a year's worth of the fuel costs already probably. One hundred percent. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah, but it, it's a cool vehicle. Uh, for sure, there's uh, there's a few guys that come out that have got those, and uh, I have I have to admit I have zero need for one of those, but yeah. I cool. have a lot of want for one of those. Yeah, no, I just this past week I was um, out at a, a shopping center or something with uh, with my girlfriend, and we pulled up and parked out in the lot. There was um, a TRX, and they're huge. I mean, yeah. they're just mass they are so much bigger than a standard like 1500 ram they're so wide so tall and we sat there just for a minute and as we were about to get out of the car this lady walks up and you know she was you know older i'd say maybe 60 years or older and definitely got a feeling it was her husband's truck but she was out running errands with it and everything and it just did not fit the the persona (laughs) at all and started up and that loud rumble on it and everything um, they uh, sound amazing too. Uh, yeah. I mean, even from the factory, uh, and especially if you put a cold air intake on that. You know, some people don't like that supercharged wine. I am not one of those people. I love the squeal that those things make. Yes. Now, granted, that is ancient technology in that thing. Those things right. have long lived their expiration. Oh yeah. Uh, they're big. They're heavy. They're inefficient. And Chrysler's answer to everything is to shove more boost through them. You yep. know what I mean? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I'm not knocking them. Right. But they do, I believe, at this day and age, they've got an expiration date because you can only go so far with that, especially with the new emissions and everything. And yep. I think that's probably one of the reasons why you're seeing it now because they know this is going to be their last hurrah. You yes. know what I mean? So oh, yeah. let's get it out while we can. Uh, let's produce some, even if it's low numbers. But I will say this on uh, – 
on, on uh, one thing they are doing right though. They're not limiting the number. They're no. going to sell as many as they can, yeah. which is great. I hate to see it when these manufacturers make really great vehicles. It's like, oh, we're only making 500. Oh, we're only making 3,000 of them, uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's great, and I'm glad they're making them, but make as many of them as you can right. sell. If yeah. you've got buyers for it, do it. You, all you're doing is making these cars artificially inflated. You're creating yep. a market for them yeah. that really, in a lot of cases, isn't warranted. Right. Uh, Look at uh, even McLaren's guilty of this. They'll throw a sticker package on one, call it a certain X package, yes. and mark it up yeah. fifteen, twenty thousand. They'll say we're selling two hundred of them. And, and there's nothing else to it other than right. the decal package. I mean, you could replicate it all day, but because it came yeah. from the factory that way. Now those are not the way you do it. If you have yeah. a truly special car like we were talking about the GR earlier, well, you do have the circuit edition with the different hood and the roof and stuff like that. You know, I think you do create a little bit of value there. But when you're just calling it uh, XYZ model, yeah, we're only making so many. Come on. Yeah, that's a way, that's a money grab. Right, that's all it is. You're not adding any actual value to that car. You're not giving the customer a better experience. You're just naming it after some obscure, some cases like with Bugatti race car driver that won a race. Yes, way before anybody currently alive was right. even living. And uh, but we're going to charge an extra eighty, hundred thousand, or whatever it is for the car because it's some French guy that won it before anybody else was alive. Yeah. Could you imagine if GM named a car after everyone that won a race in one of their cars? I mean, my God, yeah. you would, you'd have the Ward Burton you know, yeah, yeah, in yeah. power right. right now, one of ten, you know, yeah, like that, because he won in a Chevy. So it's just, uh, it's some of it's good, some of it's bad. I just, I don't know. I'm, it's, it's it appeals to someone. You know what? As long as people are willing to spend for it, I can't knock them for that. Right. But uh, my whole thing is if people want to buy them, build them. So. Yeah. No, it, uh, um, on the like McLaren front of things, I remember the um, 650S Can-Am that they came out with. It, yeah. was, it was a 650 with just some change styling, some added carbon on it and everything. But they use those, those manufacturers use that as like the bargaining chip for like, well, if you want the higher end, crazier, more exotic one, you gotta you you need to have this. Like we want you to buy this right. off of us. Um, and they're all following Ferrari. Ferrari is the one that's done that for for years. Oh, and let's don't even get started on Ferrari. They they make fantastic cars, but I don't agree with their business model in a lot of cases. Yeah, especially their their exclusivity, and you have to buy so many cars before you get another car, and right. all this other. But I mean. Uh, even Lamborghinis falling guilty of that. Aston Martin's falling guilty of that. Aston Martin even went as far. What was it? The uh, Zagato car. That yes. if you even wanted to buy that car, you had to buy another car just to even get on the list. Like, right? Come on. Well, and the crazy thing is, by the time you hear that the manufacturer is going to be making one of those cars, it it's the, too late. The list is already full yeah. because someone already has something that they need in order to be on the build list. And yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then. Then you got the opposite of that, where you've got manufacturers like Koenigsegg, like with, uh, take the, what is it, the CCS or CC8S? The, the, the CC8, I think, was the first one. The CC, then the CC8, and then CCX, CCXR. Well, they allowed their customers to come back and build them into the upgraded model. Yep. You know, and yeah. some, there was, what, there was three different versions of that one, and some guys brought them back each time yeah. they released them, say, I've already got this one, turn it into the R, turn it into the S, or whatever, right. what have you. And what that has done is you've actually got more of the upfitted ones running around than right. the original ones. I think I heard something the other day, like there's only four original CC8s left. I believe it, that yeah. That guys did not go in. So you then, 
you have the base model that actually has more value right. than the upgraded ones or the R's or something like that because everybody was allowed to do that. Now, it's cool they, 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 that they'll do that for you without you having to buy it. Could you imagine right. if one of the other manufacturers, like you had a one uh, V6 Camaro, and you're like, I want this one to be a Z01. Do yeah. it, GM. <laughs> That's the same, essentially what exact, they were doing. Yes. Um, but you, then you create a market for the uh, the the original ones that uh, have less performance, arguably less comfort to them, that are now the most expensive ones because they were unmolested and untouched. Yeah, you know. So. No, same with so Pagani with the Zonda. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had you know a Zonda, you could send it back. And actually, the way that it it almost started to happen was um, for you know, semi or, or a biannual service, you know, a larger service that, you know, oil change required maybe some engine out to, to fix some things on it. If you sent it back, they would say, by the way, we've upgraded this system and you can upgrade to this package if you want to. While it's here, we already have it. We'd be willing to do it for you. Cost this amount. Yeah. We'll just add it onto the bill, you know, and people are like, yeah, sure. I might yeah, as well do it. For the price of a new Accord, we'll change out. One synchro. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, exactly. And we'll uh, put a wing on it. Yeah. yeah. Now, when I was... Uh, <laughs> humble brag here when i was over there and i was touring their factory yeah uh they had just about every model in there and some of them were in there just for that reason these guys yeah. the you know the type of guy that can afford one of those we literally put that car on a plane fly it over there ship it to the factory have the upgrades done and then reverse the process just so they can get this track package or yep. the the roof scoop or what have you done yeah. by pagani you right know? so it's it's crazy and you know, again, hands off to them. And they're currently not really even building any cars. They're, all their right. business is just maintaining and upgrading yeah. all the ones that are out there. Right. And, uh, you know, there are a few of them that are, that are just completely crazy that are one of ones. You know, the guy's got to have the only one with this or that or right. whatever. So, um, Like famously, Lewis Hamilton has or had. I think he might have sold it, but... Um, the Zonda 760 LH, the mm-hmm. Lewis Hamilton. Like, if, if you were a big enough client and you had gone and done enough business with them and everything, you got an upgrade package and customized something on it. There's, like, in uh, in China, there's the Phantasma, then there's the, the Phantasma Evo that, you know, the some collector over there had ended up getting built and it's got multiple wings on it and all this stuff. But going back to what you were saying about the with Koenigsegg and how the ones that were untouched remain right. the most valuable yeah. ones there's a zonda s um out in california that um was one of the first like imported zondas into the country and so it's probably the only legal or one of the only legal zondas in the u.s and it's a yellow zonda s no upgraded exhaust no upgraded wheels no upgraded lights nothing it's completely original and people are constantly asking them on on social media like oh are you gonna upgrade to this package and they're like it's more valuable the way right. it is right now rather than going off and sending it and then it looks like any other Zonda exactly. that someone's done something to. Yeah, and, and I can actually appreciate that when the guy's got it. And, you know, it's it's so funny, like, uh, when guys pull up in cars that I essentially grew up with that are super clean and unmolested. Uh, a great example was that Fox Body that came out earlier, that white one. Yeah. Uh, granted, it has been repainted and restored, but all four wheels have been taken off, uh, refinished, yeah. Clear-coated, the engine bay painted, uh, everything back to OE, but it looked like it just rolled off the factory floor right. in 1993. Yeah. And, uh, you know, granted, there are way more powerful Mustangs out here, plenty of them with blowers and turbos and th- things of that nature. <laughs> yeah. But to me, seeing that old notch back like that, completely OE and clean, 
that's the one that drew me in. You know what I mean? Like right. that was special. The dash, no cracks. Everything was just wow. Like and it, it, it's so cool to see that. Now I'm not knocking anybody for modifying the car. I mean, we've all done that. But uh, you know, uh, you starting to see a lot of guys that are returning cars to OE just to have a clean one. And to me, that's all a lot. Actually, right. it's a lot harder to return them that way because guess what? They're not making OE parts for a lot of these cars anymore. Right. But you know, you gotta uh, start building the parts yourself. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Summit will sell you replacement parts for just about anything on there, but it's not going to be uh, Ford. So yeah. Now that's a cool car right there. Yeah. yeah, I mean FJ. That I mean, talk about like un untouched, unrestored, like rust all over it. Literally Bondo. It. Yeah. He was he was telling us that he found it like parked under like a carport um, in like Homewood or something or Vesavia maybe. And he went up and just said like, "What what's the deal with the the FJ?" And they were like, "Oh, I, we don't use it. We don't do anything with it." So he bought it off of them a couple months ago and hasn't changed a thing. He's just got it running and driving. That's awesome. that's, that's it. Um, and I mean, I, if uh, I had to admit, if the only thing that I would probably do to that, maybe clear it to to prohibit pro- some fruit. Yeah, dust, right. But drive it like that. The patina, I think that adds a lot of character to it. And he's actually, uh, you can't see it from where you are, but he's going over there. They're about to do take photos. some photos of yeah. it. So, uh, yeah, that's a really cool vehicle. And it's, it's, I mean, you drive it down the road, you get a scratch on it. So what? You still right. enjoy it, and you've got something that nobody else has got. And, and those things are bulletproof. I oh. mean, they're so easy to keep running. Oh, goodness, yes. And you could you could probably pull the whole thing apart with a Phillips head. You know. What I mean? Oh yeah. <laughs> In right. an afternoon. Or, yeah, or, or a, a simple pry tool. And, <laughs> yeah. And well, that's because it's rusty. Rusty. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, super cool vehicle. And you know, with the sudden overtaking of SUVs everywhere, there's still a few of those that are going to set you apart from the guy next to you. And um, cool, reliable. And uh, and unique, so yeah. Well, and Toyota's gonna is, is slowly starting to, um, you know, move away from those those classic like historical. I mean, they don't they don't make an FJ equivalent. They have the Forerunner now, which you know it isn't quite the same as what the FJ was. Um, and then getting rid of the Land Cruiser, so right. not have the Land Cruiser anymore. Well, in the U.S. In the U. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which, by the way, it's. If you were to dollar for dollar have that vehicle in the U.S., uh, it would probably cost you the same, if not more, than a fully loaded Escalade. Yeah. And Escalades, you know, 120, 130 now. Yeah. That's how much that vehicle. Land Cruiser, would cost. yeah, new Land Cruiser were like 120. Yeah. yeah. Easy, easy. Yeah. Uh, the Heritages were like 140. Well, even the the models that we did get, you'll see models out there with 120 thousand miles on them that are going for like new prices. Yep. I. There's one thing that Toyota has done really well that other manufacturers have not been able to replicate, and that is build the same damn car for 20 years, and every so often you change an interior piece or a bumper or a headlight and yep. sell it as new. I mean, come on. Look at the Tacoma. <laughs> yes, God's that's sake. exactly that what I was thinking is, of. Was, was brand new, and don't quote me on this. What was it, 2006 or something like that? That's the last time it was new. All they've done is added bits and pieces over it. It's got right. the worst fuel economy. It drives like a twenty-year-old truck. Yeah, but they're hugely popular. Right now, yes, they're they're reliable and whatnot. But I would argue that the Colorado, the Canyon, the Ranger have called up and surpassed it. Yes. Now, granted, you don't have any you know five hundred thousand mile Rangers running around right now because they just hadn't had enough time to do it. But you know, uh, you're getting much better fuel economy, more power, and you're more comfortable in it. Right. Um, in those, 
it, everything that Toyota does is is, is and the, is the cabin of a for, of a um, why am I I totally blank Tacoma the, Tacoma the cabin of them is small yeah I mean they're they're it really feels small dated and yes even with the 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 screens and stuff they the put upgraded in it, dash on yeah. it is is Absolutely. five years behind uh, at least. Yeah, the only other person that I know, that, the, only, the only manufacturer that I know that could do that is Chrysler. I mean, look how long in the tooth that the Charger and Challenger right. and 300 is. Yeah. And they just keep doing the same thing, well, just refreshing There it. was the Nissan Frontier. I mean, oh my we, God. we the had the worst small truck. I'm sorry yeah. anybody listening to this is offended, but I've had enough experience with those trucks that they are terrible. They finally redid them from the ground up, and I think they've got a good competitor. But until, what, 2022 models or yeah, whatever it yeah. was? God, I, it was the same truck for 15 years, untouched. Ask me what small truck should I get? I said any of them, but that Frontier. Yeah, my God, they felt anemic when you got into it. If yeah. you're trying to speed up with traffic, you have to plan for it. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Okay, I need to be going this fast by the time I get on the ramp. Let's floor it now. Not to mention when they were doing the superchargers on them for that year, they were running the coolant lines to the transmission, and they were rupturing. Yeah, and it was just like okay, then you had this three or four thousand dollar fix, if not more. On a truck that now is worth about three or four thousand dollars, you yeah. know. So, um, I don't get it. The guy, I, well, I guess I do get it why people buy them because they were the lowest ones you could get. You pull up to a, a Nissan dealership, they're going to take, they're going to put money on the hood of those things, to yeah. do them Because they could, all the parts on it are paid for, long since paid for. All they've got to do is build them, so it's money in their pocket. Yeah. When we were buying for Enterprise, uh, a lot of guys and they were getting fleets were getting those just because. We could purchase those at such a discount versus the Colorado or Canyon or what have you. And, you know, granted, guys wanted the other ones. But when you're buying a fleet of 20, 30 vehicles and you're you're looking at saving, you know, 100000 or whatever it is. Right. You're like, well, my guys can deal with the Nissan. You know yeah. What I mean? so, and I, get, I bet you if you were to run the VINs of most of these Frontiers that are running around that were purchased used, I'm willing to bet a lot of those came from fleet services Probably. or rentals. Yeah, it's it's amazing, and the same thing with explorers. A lot of used explorers came from another big surprise, Jeeps. I, uh, when yeah. we when we uh, when I worked there and I was in charge of ordering, we uh, when we got the Wranglers, we would check every box. If there was a special edition, we were ordering those because the residual on those were so good that we could make money purchasing it, renting it. And then selling it, it's money, money, money on those. Jeeps just do not go down. Now, we did have a, a fleet manager who made the mistake of ordering some four-cylinder automatic two-wheel drive ones. And uh, we had to move those things all around the country, and we lost our asses on those things. Oh, yeah. Now, it wasn't me. Thankfully, I know vehicles enough to know that you don't buy one that nobody wants. But, uh, I mean, I remember ordering, get this, I remember ordering the Call of Duty Edition Wranglers. Yeah. With the damn wheel cover on the back with the Call of Duty on there. Yeah. It, we made money off them. We made, if you put them on a, uh, a, a truck and send them up to up north, like Michigan or Ohio, oh, yeah. that, easily another three grand off of what you get for them. Because people want four-wheel drive vehicles right. up there. So. Um, Especially if you could take something from a, a vehicle from the south or predominantly that was driven around in the yeah. south and sell it in a market that it's typically rust vehicles, you know. Absolutely. It's a, a we big would, benefit. We would send a lot of those that I would order were actually Florida Jeeps because people like to go down to Florida, yep. rent one while they're de- there, drive with the top down on the beach yeah. and stuff like that. When we're done with them, after maybe 10,000 miles, maybe right. because the money's so good on them, we would put them on a uh, semi, send them as far north as we could get them, and just sell them like hotcakes you yeah. know dealers 
they would buy them sight unseen. Like, how many Wranglers you got? I don't know, eight. Yeah. I'll take all eight. And out. everyone knows how everyone treats a rental. I, I mean, care. like, <laughs> yes. yeah. Well, it, it, that's that's the very reason why, and a lot of people don't know this, we actually had a third party come in and refurbish all our cars. So, oh, okay. Yeah, that's, uh, it, was a good, it was a good ethical thing that Enterprise did. So anytime any vehicle leaves... Uh, rental or fleet, yeah. we don't do it ourselves get, because get the best condition, as possible. right? We because then people could say, "Oh, you're monkeying around with it. This isn't how it's presented." No, there's a third party that comes in, completely reconditions the car, gives us the, you know, what needs to be done, does it, and so that way you don't have to fall. Uh, you know, you can fall back on them if if it's if not presented happened. as it should be, right? And uh, and they would invest the money into them. Now, every now and then, we'd have to we'd have to let some go for. For next to nothing. And I don't want to get too many into details. That could be a whole podcast by itself. Yeah. <laughs> I have stories for days of the conditions that some of these cars came back in. Uh, repainted, different rims, full of blood and drugs. You know, so those wow. kind of cars, yeah. they don't usually go to, right. to dealerships. They go to the crusher. But uh, needless to say, I have seen it all and got stories for them. But uh, the ones that we can sell, which... Was the vast majority of them. They were referred by another company and then then sold. Yeah. So um, it was you know it was a much more ethical thing to do anyway. So I don't know the rest of the um, I can't speak on the rest of the fleet services that did that, but I know personally from uh, Enterprise because that was part of my day in and day out duties to make sure everything got to where it was and presented as it should be. So. Yeah. So you're you're following the GR Corolla really closely. What do you know the time frame for those when they're supposed to start? Well, coming it's they they're. They've been um, they've already released a very little bit of information, and it's yeah. been trickling out. Yeah, uh, they I have like to throw things in the bottom of press releases that you have to search for. And right. Yeah. The only thing that we know are the hard numbers for the first year. They don't even have the release uh, date of them yet, and I don't I can't quote them off the top of my head. But the CR or the uh, circuit <coughs> edition. I think there's a total of fifteen hundred, which is just slightly more than the number of Toyota dealers in America, which means that a couple of dealerships will probably get, get two. Yeah. Uh, now, the, the again, quote-unquote base model, if you can even call it that, uh, they're going to – they're limited by production, and they, but they are going to have more than that uh, after the first year. I think they're having 1,800 or something of those. So those will probably be a lot easier to come by. Yeah. Um, just such a fascinating little car. But, again, this goes back to these special editions. Yes, it's a circuit edition, and it's cool, but – you're going to start a bidding war with guys that are going to come to the dealerships and be like, well, I'll give you 10000 over MSP. I'll give you $12,000. And there's going to be those dudes that just do not care right. how, if they lose on it. And this is, those are the ones that are going to keep those cars as collector editions. Mm-hmm. They're not going to drive them. 30 years from now, those are the ones that are going to be rolled out and bring uh, on bring a, bring trailer. a trailer. Yeah. And uh, with, you know, 10 miles on them, original tires and uh, wrapping all that. And see... I want to be one of those guys that gets it and actually drives it. I will use that car. I will put miles on it. Now, I can't promise you I'm going to daily drive it, but I will thrash it. <laughs> and right. I want to have that one. Uh, you know, and maybe down the line they come up with some more special editions or uh, that have a different hood. And uh, Year over year changes those cars. They never stay the same. The first, right. the first release editions are usually 
the least powerful and least reliable yep. of them. I mean, let's just be honest yeah. here. They're still shaking down the bugs with them. You know, you let's saw, hope they tested the power plant with the Yaris. I yeah. mean, they've got some similarities between them. And, and Toyota has a little better record than some of them, but right. they're not flawless. I yeah. mean, but even when uh, Ford came out with the GT350, as great of an engine as that was in there, a lot of those first-gen cars had trouble. Yeah. You know, those engines. That, uh, the instance, oil filter issue is a the, huge one. The gentleman that comes out here, engine blew, I-65, cruising speed, out of nowhere, popped. Boom. Yeah. Ford replaced it with a year newer engine without that in- issue in it. I mean, look at Porsche. You know, with their, their what was it, the 996, the, uh, the Carrera S's and all that, not the turbos. They had that bearing problems, which plagued them. It wasn't yeah. even that big of an issue, but the earlier cars had that problem with them. You right. Know? And, uh, you know, where they're still shaking them out. Corvette's been victim to that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, other Mustangs have been. Uh, those are just the ones that come off the top of my head. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so you do run into that risk. But, but when you have that special edition one like that, um, you know, you, you create, even with those problems, it's. I think that car will hold its value even if you do mileage it up and enjoy it as you should. Yeah, well, and you know the thing that sucks is it the the people that can go out and they can they can throw tons of money over MSRP on it and everything isn't isn't the target user, you know. But it's hard to get it because it's meant to be a small, affordable sports car for an enthusiast. You know, absolutely, and absolutely. It, it, with a very unique drivetrain, by the way, right? And so, if if you get these people coming in and paying over for it and everything, then it totally cuts out that user base. It's almost like taking a reverse of what Ford did with the GT and mm-hmm. saying, like, you have to own X amount of GT products or have uh, this, you know. Well, you know, they record. had an application you had to write, right? Right. Had. It should almost be the same way, but you have to be within, like, you have to be under the age of like, you know, fifty, and <laughs> you can't, you can't have like ageist. Right, you can only only have one kid, no more than one kid or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, they uh, oh, I lost my train of thought with that. Uh, it's uh, yeah, I, I do agree that it it would be nice to try to to make it to for the guys that just aren't going to throw money with it. Right. Oh, I remember what it was with the uh, LFA. Remember how they did that? They they yeah. they released that car. That you could only lease it for two years to specifically keep that car out of people's garages yep. and sitting there. Right. The only, so the first people to lease them wouldn't ultimately become the owners. Right. So you had no incentive to save it for the next guy. Beautiful model. That is a beautiful model yes. to do it. That way you're guaranteed your cars are out there driven. Um, granted, I don't think that would apples to apples with the GR because you get some guy that would just rally cross it every weekend. Yeah, exactly. But it does prevent it from guys gobbling them up and paying uh, ludicrous amounts of money just to shoo them away in some garage. Yeah. So I, I do like that model, and I would like to see that with some other stuff uh, eventually, maybe. Um, to yeah, you know, anything that that, get, that falls under that limited method, like like we were talking about at the beginning, is just. How these manufacturers that throw a limited number, you know, ask for an over, over MSRP because it's limited edition. It, there's not many of them, type of thing, and um, you know, it, have that model on those. If it's limited, you know, you no no uh, no ownership for two years or something like that. And right. it's, it's something that right. get them out, get you know, have them be enjoyed by the the intended end user on it. Well, Ford did have a. Re- they did have a deal with the GTs where you couldn't sell it, right? Because remember, John Cena, got yeah, sued for that, and yeah. Ford won, yeah. And uh, they uh, they sent all the money to charity, which was nice of them to do that. Yeah. But 
come on, you have to believe that uh, he he knew from the get go that he was not. It couldn't have caught him off guard when they right. did the application. Now I'm sure he had an assistant he, to fill all that and all that. Yeah, and they just didn't halfway pay attention to it. But uh, he probably knew the risk and didn't think he would get caught. And uh, well, he did. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, the, and the funny thing is, you know, part of that was talked about a lot with that application process was they were trying to give it to people with social media presence or, right. or you know, community presence, some that it would get out and be used and everything. And um, uh, in 2019, when the GTs really started rolling out, there started being a, a good few of them. I went to Monterey Car Week, and there was I was at. Um, near a hotel and a red GT with white stripes come driving by and I run to the hotel parking garage and I walk down there and this really old guy gets mm-hmm. out of it and I'm like alright you are the committed Ford customer but I know for a fact you're not the social media guru or, or something <laughs> and um, and so I went and talked to him and, and, and got a feel for it and um, I was like, so what, you know, on the application side of things, was it, you know, how, you know, how much of a Ford customer are you? And he's like, oh, well, I've, I've had a, you know, a, a service uh, business for years and, and I, I, I buy about 50 Ford fleet vehicles every year. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, that's it. You, yeah, you've, absolutely. you've put a lot of money in Ford's pocket. So that, that explains why they, they gave it to you. Yeah. A lot of, uh, some of those guys like with the dealers and stuff like that, uh, it was funny, uh, how uh, it was like, yeah, I, I won't use this car, but I've been racing Mustangs for 20 years and stuff like that. Right. So, you know, those are the ones that are there. I think some of that, too, becomes of, uh, you know, that they're going to represent the company and they are loyal to, yes. to Ford, yep. too. So, um, so yeah, I could, I could see those going into some of the right hands. And, you know, I, I'm just glad I'm not the one that had to read all those applications that came in because you have to believe they were bombed. Bombarded oh, with yeah. stuff because anyone could do it. Absolutely, yeah. I could have wrote one. Yeah. I did. I oh, that's hilarious! <laughs> I, it was one of those things that, like, why not? You know? Yeah, sure. Um, I now, what happens if you got uh, you got picked? Would you then mortgage your house? And it's like, mom, dad, I need some money to. So there's there's a YouTuber, Seb Delaney. Um, he's a young French uh, Monegasque. You know, li- lives in Monaco. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess business uh, guy. Feels like a kid. He looks really young. He, he applied. Had big social media presence and everything. And he applied, and he got accepted on the allocation. But he didn't have uh, he didn't have the capital to do it. He wasn't he wasn't yeah. ready to, to put money on it. And um, he put out like a YouTube video and basically said, "I've received an allocation, and I'm looking for partners." He's like, "I does someone want to go in half? Does someone want to split this three ways? Like, what 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 is someone <laughs> willing to do on it?" Right. Um, and then ultimately, he was like, "Yeah, what's the point of like going through all that for you know for something that I'm going to have to share? It's it, it's not as special at that point. Everything." So he didn't end up doing it. Um, well, you and, know, and, and in the place, he ended up buying a Turbo S, uh, a, a 430 Scuderia, and. Uh, um, I think like a Lotus Exige or something. So he, instead of one car, he got three. So. If you could just somehow figure out how to make two years worth of payments, even on an eight-year loan or something right. like that, after those two years, you could, A, have enjoyed the car, and B, recouped all your money when you sold it. Yep. You know what I mean? So it, right. it's those kind of situations. Like uh, I, I thought about initially, and I think everybody else did, and that's why it wouldn't necessarily work. Is getting a, try to get an allocation for the Z06 because I think that's going to be the same way. It will uh, be. They're going to be very limited. Uh, you know, I'm clearly and obviously not the first and only person to think that, but I still think there's a little bit of wiggle room in there for it. But uh, 
you know, the guys with the Broncos. It's yep. another good example. Oh, there yeah. was a gentleman that comes out here. He said before he even picked up the vehicle, Ford had offered him $4,000 not to take ownership of it. They were that desperate to keep it because they knew they could mark it up more. Yep. He, he, he didn't agree to it. He said, no, I want my, my truck. You right. know, He probably waited on it for a while. Oh, he did. Uh, yeah. yeah, most guys that have waited on those right. uh, have waited upwards of eight or nine months. Yeah. So, like, the deposit I put down, I've, I've already recouped that money. So, it's it's mine in my mind already. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, I'm going to take it. Um, but, I mean, could you imagine you to make $4,000 without essentially right. any effort yeah you know what i mean that's just they're giving you money not to pick up the car you wanted and then i mean you you could turn around and get something right. else but uh you know it's just how much you 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 want the uh the vehicle but yeah. those guys that had the order they they hit the nail on the head because they got it before all the they ordered it before all the chip shortages, all the problems they're having and there there was order replaced they're in the books and everything so they pay what they need to pay and then all that happens and now the dealers are rushing for inventory so they're willing to pay that because they know they can yeah. they can make money off of it so there's a lot of guys that that made money doing that I, now the time is the time to sell if you have you know extra vehicles you want to unload you could probably make good money off of yeah. it um, until things um, settle down there's still a lot of room out there um yeah, I could uh, on on my Volkswagen because I bought it um, on the heels of the TDI recall yes. uh, with forty thousand miles on it. I'm close to eighty thousand miles on it now. If I were to sell it to like you know Carvana or one of the the big box you know uh, buyers, I could get I could make money on it. Yeah, because they're they're in demand and like people want them um, because they're you know a good reliable car and under a hundred thousand miles, it's still considered low mileage for it. Yeah. Um, well, and they are super reliable. Right. The yeah. only thing that sucks is I got to replace it if I sell it. Absolutely. And what do you what do you replace it with? Well, in the, the only thing you market? can find out there right now really are SUVs. But uh, the uh, you know it's funny you know we're talking about that and everything. But I drive by a lot of these lots and the, the lots are full of cars for sale. Yeah. But yeah, the deal, some of these dealers are screaming, "We don't have inventory. This is why it's so expensive." X Y Z. Yeah. And then they get greedy and mark up. And yeah. It's like, well, There's one I go by every day, and it's where I bought my uh, M3 from. Their lot is full of vehicles, and they're still barking about, well, you know, it's so expensive because we can't get this, we can't get this. I was like, I don't know. What you're saying isn't matching to what I'm seeing here. Right. I think that some of them are just following the trend. Uh, You know, well, they're doing it. Yeah, we're going to do it, you know, so we're going to get it. But, I mean, they're in business to make money, so I get it. It's good for them but bad for the consumer, uh, unfortunately. So. I think the only way that you could possibly get a deal this day and age is just private sales. Don't go just skip the dealer all the way. You find I, one of your buddies' cars you like, offer him money for it, and hope it sticks. I, I the the timing of um, you know cars and bids, bring a trailer. I know bring, bring a trailer's been around for quite a while, um, and collecting cars falling just before 2020 when uh, you know everyone had time to sit at home and you know scour the internet for cars for sale because they had nothing else to do. And then leading all the way into the shortage of cars and everything, it, it made it so much easier for people to be like, well, I'll sell a car on there. I'll buy a car on there because you can actually get a decent price on it. It's You, well, get, you get some community feedback on it. And Once upon a time, yeah. maybe on Bring a Trailer. But I, I also blame them for a lot of the problems that we have now with the inflated prices on these cars. Yeah. Two great examples. Acura Type R. Yeah, that's Integra the first. Integra Type yeah. R. That is not... 
a six-figure car. Right. I don't care what, where you're at. I mean, unless it's the last one. Yeah. That's not. But that's what it's going for. Supras on there. Mm-hmm. They single-handedly jack that market up because <laughs> what happens is one guy buys it for that price, then everybody out there thinks that theirs is that that expensive or worth that much. Right. And you know, the, the rising tide doesn't raise all ships. I'm sorry. Yeah. These NA automatic Supras should not be going for thirty, forty thousand dollars for what they are. Right. They are not a special car. And people don't realize it costs fifteen grand to put in a manual on no. that. Because it's the transmission and the fabrication work to put it in is not easy. Well, and it's it's not a, an easy fit. It's it, an automatic car doesn't come prepared for a manual transmission. So Well not only that, good luck finding one that hasn't just been molested. Yeah. I mean if you Granted, to find a clean one, you could argue, you could make the argument, but ninety percent of them out there, uh, probably more than that, if they weren't if they weren't modified before Fast and Furious, yeah. they were certainly modified <laughs> after Fast and Furious because everybody had the benchmark of a thousand horsepower. Like that is right. where we are now, just insane power. Uh, it doesn't matter how well it runs or anything, as long as yes. they can. As have long that as there's one, a dyno sheet, there's a dyno sheet, <laughs> yeah. and then they try to sell it, and they got a laundry list of cars. Like I know what I got, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. you got a hoopty you're trying to sell me, right? There's a tipping, ticking time bomb, but yeah, they're still pulling money, and it's a shame because a lot of the enthusiasts that want those cars that grew up lusting for them, they were too young to have a license in, are now can't even get the car that they really want. Yep. You know. I would love to have a, a clean um, DC2 Integra, yeah. but you know the guys that are selling them uh, are asking way too much. I mean, just looking at these two that are sitting over here in front of us, I mean, yeah. these are two great examples. I happen to know for a fact that red one's a magazine car, too. It looks like a magazine car. Very clean. <laughs> yeah. Very well done. Uh, I'd, I'd argue that all four of those cars, uh, in their own right, uh, they all look feature. really good, yeah. The Midori Green... Um, Civic with the Mugen wheels on there, those MF10s. That is a uh, very well clean car. He's got on his uh, speedometer, it says daily driven <laughs> on it. So nice. I wonder if that's true. But the uh, that particular color is a factory color. Now, granted, they normally don't look that good because that one's been polished up. But uh, these guys will seek those out just kind of like the. Uh, the Phoenix yellow and the yeah. championship uh, colors, yeah, you know, because it's such a, a, a rare color, but uh, very, very well done. Um, but again, those are the kind of cars that I grew up with and around. Well, uh, and ten years ago, they were they were just another car. Yeah. Oh, you well, well, let's look at Porsche. I mean, come on, before Magnus Walker, the nine nine six Porsches and, yeah. were just used Porsches, right? And then people started getting really interested in them and uh and they for whatever reason they got a spark under them and uh and have just even i mean come on you got crazy stuff like 912s going for way more than they should be yeah. they're not well, even good cars 996s are going for 60 70,000 yes. they they aren't the 4 liter you know engine they don't rev as high as as the modern ones do but it's like the closest most attainable thing someone can get to you know a Porsche and that's the place to get in them and they're just skyrocketing value. I mean, a 996 Turbo, Turbo S, is a $100,000 car. Right. And that was a sweet spot for a while there. Right. When the new generations came out, that was the one. You just get the previous generation. You get a good car. You didn't have to worry about the bearings and all that stuff because a lot of the people associated that one with the issues that the, that the NA cars had, which is different engine. Um, so if you could get over the looks of it, you had a great performing car, and some guys were actually able to jump on those when they were mid-$30,000 yes, cars. Yeah. 
Now you won't find them that much, right? Uh, you know, unless it's just missing something like uh, an engine. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but because uh, there there was a period where nine nine sixes, it was re- all too common to LS swap those. Yeah, and you know, that's a shame. Yeah, it was because I get it. It's cool. It's your car. Do what you want to. Uh, but the whole LS trend is they make. You LS the world, it'll make any car faster. Don't get me wrong. I'm not taking away from the benefits of an LS. It's a lightweight V8. It'll laugh at 420 horsepower all day long. Right. It's like, ha give me more miles. I love it. Yeah. But it's almost like it's cheating. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like when you come out and you have a, like, what was that, a 928 that was out here earlier with that LS swap yes. in it? Yes, yeah. And then you have, uh, there's a guy that's got the FD with the LS swap in There's even a local guy that's got an S2000 with the LS swap. It's like, yeah, your cars are fast, and I bet they're fun to drive. But it doesn't excite me as much as a FD with a rotary in it. To well, me, that's cool. Right. You know? Or the uh, the F22s in the, that would rev for days in the S2000s. You know, it's a, that is so much cooler to right. me than, than just sho- shoehorning that engine into to everything. Right. Like yeah. like with my Miata, like if I you know go out on a, a curvy windy road uh, up you know with a Miata with a V eight, mm-hmm. be like, all right, let's both see who can use full throttle, you know, and then and I in between out of a turn, I will absolutely hammer it and give everything that engine can get out of it. And, and I'd I'm, argue you're having more fun. And I'm going to have a blast, <laughs> yeah. right? Because then I, at the same time, I've got way less weight up front mm-hmm. and I'm just going to, mm-hmm. I'm going to fly into a corner and throw it into it where you're going to be nose heavy right. and understeer and you've got to be ready to go into it a little bit slower. Yeah, you know? and absolutely. A, Driving a slow car fast. Exactly. is a lot of fun. It is very fun. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's not about ringing it out and just getting every little last tenth of a car that, that just it feels, well, yeah, granted, you you're you're not going to break any lap records or anything like that, but yeah. you're going to when you get out of that car, your your palms are sweaty, you're maybe shaking a little bit, yeah. you feel a little bit. You're fatigued, on the edge a little bit, yeah. But it's like you've been on a roller coaster for an hour, and you've just been enjoying every single right. bit of it. So yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it, but again, you know, the LSs are just cheating. I'm sorry, yeah. it's it's. I'm not knocking anybody's ride. Don't I'm, get me wrong. I'm curious how much revenue Chevy makes off of just selling crate LSs every year. <laughs> well, I mean, it's you got shops like Vinny's and uh, Goolsby that every time you go in there, they've got a crate in the corner with yep. an LS of some sort in there, or a uh, Ford Performance engine and things like that. Uh, yeah, even uh, I've been in uh, Goolsby where they had the uh, like the Elephant. They had one of those. Yeah, in there. yeah. So it's like that's cool, you know, but. You look at the price for it, it's like, oh, my God, this doesn't come with a car wrapped around it? Yeah. I was like, this is just for the engine alone. But, you know, guys are paying stuff like that. Um, now, granted, for those resto mods, it makes sense. Yep. So a lot of those cars that they're doing, you you have to get something like that done. And, and to me, I'm not mad at it a bit. What's really cool is when they dress them up to make them look like a classic car or a yeah. classic engine. And they almost they, they do such a great job these days with the valve covers and hiding the coil packs and the intakes. That you would swear it's yeah. the early '90s, or you know, even yeah. further back. Even some of those, man, you look at them, you're like, this, this is a '70s 350. It's like, no, that is an LS in this thing. Yeah, uh, you know, so that I can really appreciate. It, and, and it shows, it shows how simple and how how much the engine hasn't changed in very right. long. It's it's a very simple V8 and and its geometry and how it's all laid out and. And uh, a lot of those cars, you know, when they're purchased, they're purchased just for the chassis. So, yeah. no telling. The engine's probably missing, or it's got the old, uh, it was a 
quote unquote secretary car. So it had a V6 to start with. Yep. Now they're changing it, stuff like that. So um, you get some really cool stuff, though. Uh, um, there was a down by me. There was a um, uh, I can't even think of the now the F body Camaro, um, the boxier one, late nineties, uh, maybe early nineties one, like IROC Z, the really squared off one. Um, I can't remember it, but it, I mean, a more recent classic, I would mm, say, right. but it was resto modded, Nardo gray, of course, paint, but it was lowered on some really good suspension and had a really clean LS with, um, a simple, like, uh, really tucked away roll cage in it. Like it looked like it would be a track monster yeah. and it, and it took a Camaro that's like just, you know, pushed to the side all the time because they're. That, that that generation of them wasn't very good. And it probably, well, I don't know if it was an IROC Z exactly, but it probably was a V6 to begin with. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. and all in, they're probably twenty grand on the build or yeah. something. Uh, and then you got a cool car when you're done. Right. Um, speaking of uh, swaps, there's the guy that's got the Ford Cyclone. Now, he wasn't out here today, but yeah. he's got a few of them. Now, I, yes, there was a Ford car called the Cyclone, not the GMC Cyclone yeah. or anything like that. But uh, he did that 2JZ swap on it. He did it himself. So you got a he did the opposite of what most guys do. Yeah, got an American body with a Japanese drivetrain in it. Yeah. And it's super cool build he did. And see mm. things like that, you know, now that I can appreciate because of the uniqueness to it. Or when yeah. you see these guys that put turbo Volvo engines in their cars, yeah, like, yeah, that is awesome. That's something to me. Even Audi V8s is yes. as difficult as those things are to work on. When you see that swapped into something, right. Or a B, uh, I tell you another one, BMW V8. So there was a guy that, yeah, what it was. Yeah. Oh, uh, he the had S54, a fifty-four, um, right? Oh, those or the uh, the uh, the S fifty-eight, I think, was the E ninety-two M three. There's a guy that's got a um, an old Ford Roadster, and I'm trying to think of which one it is, but I know it's not going to come to me. And he's got a V eight, uh, okay. a BMW V eight. Yeah, super cool. You right. Know, people looking at it are like, I don't know what I'm looking at. And yeah. He has to tell you, and those are the kind of things that catch you. They catch um, you off guard that make you really interested. Yeah, in it. I feel like uh, other episodes of the podcast, I've I've talked about this guy way too much. But Adam LZ, do you know Adam LZ? Uh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, peripherally know who that is. Yeah, so he had a GT350 Mustang, and mm-hmm. it had the oil filter failure, yeah. caught on fire, whole front end, up in flames, and everything. And Ford, especially because he's a big influencer, paid a lot for him to. Uh, do whatever he wanted with the car, basically. So he mm-hmm. was like, "Well, let me keep the car and give me the money that it would cost to like replace the whole thing." Right. And so then he bought a donor car, pulled some suspension pieces off yeah. of it to to put everything back on, and then he put a Barra yes in it yes. And and again, a very unique swap. Like, I mean, it, a Barra is not an engine we ever had in the U.S. And so it's something that he was like, "I'm going to take something we don't have, put it in, in something that." People typically wouldn't think to put it in. Right. And it's super cool. You know, and that's the funny thing about that, though. You see a lot of guys importing Japanese engines, and, uh, you know, it's uh, to a lesser degree European engines for, for cars, but yeah. nobody is importing those Barras, and they're such a cool. You pop the hood on a built Barra, and you're like, whoa. Wow. Yeah. This is cool. Oh, and by the way, it's made by Ford. You yes. Know? It's such a shame that we never got that in the States. I mean, it, I get it. We're a V8 country. Right. Uh, but. I would love to see more of those swaps going on uh, just for the sheer interest of them and the uniqueness of it. Right. Um, and they built his 
kind of like GM did with the the LS LQs and all that stuff. They have a million different versions of it, from a right. daily driver version all the way up to yeah. the uh, the hopped up ones. I mean, there's probably a non-turbo version of the Barra that's probably in just you know your secretary's car that, right. um, and the, probably a pretty bulletproof engine. Yeah. Um, and so so unique, and you could, uh, I mean, right off the top of my head, I could think of three or four different chassis you could stick it in. Yeah, yeah, uh, just like the aforementioned uh, Mustang. But even go back to uh, to uh, the previous generations uh, of the Mustang, all the way back to the uh, the Fox Buys stuff. I like put that in there. You know what I right. mean? That'd be super oh, cool. Yeah. I don't know what they weigh, but you would imagine they were way less than those iron V8s because those things were pretty heavy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's aluminum. It's just straight six. So um, uh, fairly light and compact, too. I mean, yeah. an LS, is, it, it is a small engine. It's, it's a small block, but it, it's still, you know, a five-and-a-half-liter engine that is going to take up a lot of space. And, and, and the thing that, like, it... it became somewhat common to put an ls in a miata but a miata comes with a 1.8 liter engine and you're putting something that's five times the size well some of them were the 1.6s the older ones right yeah the older one yeah yeah, the the first gen na's were uh 1.6 the Um, new one's got a pretty small engine too but the uh the the reason too you know since we're on the subject of the uh ls's i would argue that the cody engine is just as well, if not better, than a lot of the LSs. However, you don't see those swapped and everything because they forward one misstep on that was they made the V way too wide yeah. on that. Yeah. When I was working with Spec, we were helping some guys with their um, Cody swaps, and some of them were running into trouble. Uh, for instance, there was a gentleman, and I don't remember if it was the NB or NC Miata, but he was trying to do the Cody swap. Well, come to find out, he had to cut like the strut towers out yeah. completely re-engineer the front end whereas an LS just plops in there. You can there. pop it you in. You buy right. some engine All mounts. you have to do is widen the transmission tunnel. That's yeah, it. I mean, come on. Yeah. But with this, you had to cut everything out and, you know, by the time he was too far in it to turn back, yeah. he's doubled his budget for it. So that's yeah. a shame that they couldn't do that. Um, but the great thing about it is it will fit into a lot of uh, Ford ones because American engine bays are so wide. But yeah, that's the reason why you don't see that into a lot of other ones. It just simply is just way too wide, and that's that's a shame because I, I would love to see pound for pound an FD LS6 versus a Cody just right. just right out of the gate. You yeah, know, see what, what how it would uh, which one would per, right, per, and which one like. actually fits the chassis better. Yeah, you know what I mean, so because those uh, those Codys they got some revs to them, you know. Yeah, they do. Um, I'll be curious to see if. Uh, Chevy decides to do crate uh, setups for the flat plane crank for the Z06. Well, the the interesting thing about that uh, with that uh, car or with the C8 in general is when they engineered the uh, mid-engine Corvette, they went into it with a blank slate and they made it wide enough to accept a number of different drivetrains, which was very smart. Right. But that's the reason why you don't see that new uh, LT in that one, because it is wider than the LSs in that one. So it is a, it is a wider V, uh, I think, with the heads and everything else on it. But that's why you don't see a lot of those getting pulled out of the Corvettes and getting shoved into Camaros. Yeah. Because I've heard 
that they will not fit because of the setup in them. And uh, the mid-engine allows you to just go as wide as you want to, and you don't run into those limitations. So with the Z06, I don't know if it's a taller engine or what. You know, like the Z01 engines, those are really tall. Yeah, it's really low down. Yeah. I, like, I mean, it is very sunk down into the chassis um, on, on the, the Z06. Uh, as, I mean, as far as its weight distribution, where it lines up in the car, it probably is still a pretty big engine. and. It's a lot of carbon and covers on it and everything, so yeah. it's really hard to yeah. get a sense you can't, of where it yeah. is. <laughs> you can't really see it very right. well. But, uh, you know, when I got to check out the new Z06 uh, in person, it, photos don't really do it justice because on photos it looks like a C8. Yep, it does. I think that they, and they should have done more to separate it more because you have a special car, you want to look like a special car. Yeah. But when you're actually there, you start noticing some of the subtleties and stuff like that, you know, between the lips and uh, the 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 hips of it and things like that so you can separate the two but um you know i i didn't get to see it next to a stock c8 just to see how the engines compared on there but i do remember reading about the engineers when they went into it they they made the bay really wide to yeah. fit a very wide and plus now with the ele- electric version and yeah. the hybrid and all yeah. that coming they got to have room to put all that junk in there yeah <laughs> you know i'm i'm very curious to see because they're they're teasing the um the hybrid with uh, front wheel um, electric motor assist on yeah. it. Yeah. Well, that video they, yeah. they just released of it, you can see the clearly see the front wheel spinning. Right. I'm it. curious to see how much it'll compromise the front uh, storage space, you know, and and, right. and how clever they can be with it. But it's a great proposition. <laughs> as far they as want it to fit a, a bag of golf clubs. That's always been yes. their benchmark. So yeah. I'm interested to see if they can do that. Yeah. Well, you can fit two bags, I think, in the back, in the in the trunk of the behind the engine, uh, between the engine. Oh, and the is bumper. that right? Yeah, yeah, you can. It's very deep. It's um, it goes almost all the way down to where the license plate is. So. That's right. Yeah, that is. They got a big tub back there because you can also uh, remove the roof and fit the roof in the back as well, which is nice because there's nothing worse than having one of those removable roofs with and, nowhere to store. Yep. You know, because imagine being somewhere in a sudden downpour. Now, granted, you remove those t tops and you're yeah you your bags in there. Something's got to give. You know, yep. but. Um, you know, it is nice to be able to transport all the parts that came on the car with the car itself. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, Lamborghini's solution in the 2000s was the the weird tent kind of soft top that had, uh, like, metal poles in it. You literally had to, like, construct it. You had to mm-hmm. put the, the sticks through it and make sure it was, like, rigid and then snap it into place, and it, it never really worked. But it could be stored in a very small area, so. Yeah, well, you see some of the manufacturers going back to soft tops, like Mercedes with yep. the SL. They went back to a soft top, and they did a great job with it, too. Um, you know, some would argue it cheapens the car, but you know what? It probably also takes away a ton of weight. Right. And simplicity is key here. You know? Well, and the problem is, especially um, on the on the side of Ferrari, Ferrari has gone to a hardtop format on all of their convertible vehicles, mm-hmm. and it makes the vehicle, in the case of the 812, the 812 Superfast compared to the GTS looks like the same car. Uh, the only difference is one has a roof that can come off, and it forces a lot of people to be like, well, I'm just going to get the, the convertible one. I'm not going to worry about the other one because it looks the same. It feels the same and everything, but I get the added benefit of being able to take the top off. Right. And, and you, it kind of cuts out on that. And there was something I was listening to recently that they were talking about um, how Ferrari used to 
put out a product, wait two to three years, and then put out the convertible product so that someone would have the car, it would come back up on the resale market, and it would change hands before a customer would then go and get the convertible version. But they're launching them at the same time now. And so it, it, it's just forcing people to be like, well, I'm going to go the convertible yeah, route Yeah, when anyways. you stagger the launches like that, I mean, it makes financial sense because then you have another uh, – you, you're always launching something. You know right. what I mean? When you have just the hard tops come out first, and then you're like, well, we got a convertible coming. And then we got a you know super fast or whatever coming. And then right. X Y Z coming. You know you're always launching a different product. It keeps the i the car fresh. It creates more options for it, but you also have a sellable item because there are guys that were like I just want the car that are going to be first adopters that are going to get it. Yeah. You know maybe somebody there may be a few that hold out to it, but there are also plenty of guys just forget that the car is even there. I mean, you know, how many of these cars when they after they launch for a little while, they just kind of fall off the radar. They're exciting. It takes a while first. before deliveries come out. Right. And, yeah. And then you come out with a new model and then you've got it keeps it fresh, you know, it keeps it on people's mind. You've got other options for it. So um which was so strange that Ford did what they did with the Bronco. They come out with the Bronco, then they immediately you know, launched like the Sasquatch. Yeah. And then right after it, they announced the Raptor version. You're cannibalizing your own sales when yeah. you do that. You can't even Because now build, someone's like, well, no, I'm going to wait for that. Yeah, I'm you can't wait even for that build now. enough to, to satiate the need for them yeah. right now. And you're constantly got all these options for them. You right. know, uh, if you would have waited, staggered these out a little bit further, I would argue that some of these guys would have ordered their Broncos and then maybe traded up to yep. a different model. Right. You know, uh, to do that. When you have them so close to each other like that, it just doesn't make sense. Like, you know, the C8's a great example of done right because they always follow the fa- the same formula. They come out with the... The Stingray, the base Stingray. Right. And then the, with the... Um, what is Z51 package, yep. um, or whatever they call it now, uh, and then they come out a few years later. They'll they'll release either a Grand Sport or a Z06, and then a few years later they'll do a, a Z01. And so, and you see that same formula now uh, with them. Now, granted, they didn't let the Z06 come out into dealer or customers' hands before they announced an all-wheel drive a, a hybrid version with it. Right. Uh, but uh, they do stagger them well enough uh, to where it. Uh, you People know the print. cycle. They know how to yeah, get into it. Exactly. If they're like, I want a Corvette, I'm going to get this one, have it for a couple of years, and then I'll try to trade up to it and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it makes a much easier network of, you know, within Corvettes, I know you want to be loyal to a dealer. And, and if you're loyal to the dealer, the dealer has a better chance of getting allocations for stuff. And so if you go and you order or you buy a brand new Stingray, the chance the you know, corporate's going to see, all right, well, this dealership sold a, a base Stingray. We're we should consider giving them a Z06 allocation because they're probably going to want to sell that to their customer that they sold the Stingray to. Um, and it, it, like you said, it follows a really good recipe and a, a path. And I wonder if that ever happens, though. That, that brings up a good point. I wonder if, you know, if you do re- uh, you do announce a, a newer, better, faster version of a car, if that's going to mean 10 less of the other models sold there, which in turn could hurt the dealership. Say, for instance, well, you need to sell X amount of these before you reach the threshold to order a Z06 or a Z01. They're like, well, we can't do it because we got 10 guys waiting on it and we can't get the allocations because we can't sell the ones we got. Yeah. You know? So uh, I'd like to believe that GM and them take care of their dealer network. I don't know enough uh, about it, but uh, I imagine that's got that's got to happen with it. I, I know enough to know that they, they do get incentivized for selling X amount, and that's how Enterprise, yeah. some of their great pricing comes from, because at the end of the year, they'll take, they'll take a loss on 15, 20 cars just to get over 
a threshold so they can get a check for every single one of them they sold to that point. Yeah. So, um, but it's a lot harder to move uh, a high end car like that because the utility of it. Yeah, you're not going to daily drive that very frequently. I mean, if you're a family of four. There's no argument to have just a Corvette as your car because how are you going to pick up the kids from school? <laughs> you know, yeah, with all exactly. those, I was like, yeah, you sorry, need a y'all, Tahoe y'all, as well. yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. It's uh, it, it becomes quite difficult, but um, you know, most of those are second cars, yeah, and that's really the the where we're moving it now. Most everybody I know has got to, I and even me, I've got two cars. Mm-hmm. I've got a daily, and I've got. Uh, a fun fast car. Right. You have got the Austin Yellow M3, which I love, 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 which was my daily for a long time. But then I also got a POS 08 Kia Rio that gets great fuel economy, power windows, power locks, everything I need to do. Yeah. Some just working gotta, AC. And, yes. Yeah. Just got to eat a little bit of humble pie when you eat it and uh, know that literally everything else on the street is faster than it. You forget how how slow a car can feel when one of your cars has more than four times the horsepower yeah. of the other one, yeah, which is amazing. And twice I've burned out a coil pack on that thing. If you think four full cylinders is slow on it, try running around on three. <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it is dangerously slow. And I, you know, b- uh, both times it happened, I was uh, I was not at home, so I had to drive it that way. And on the interstate, I'm rocking back and forth in the seat, thinking, "Let's go a little keep bit going, faster. Going, I yeah. gotta give up with traffic." But you know what? To its credit, I got home both times. It yeah. ran. It, it did. It's like, okay, I guess we're running on three now. This is my life. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. So, uh, but a coal pack for that thing, I think I paid uh, maybe $50 for a coal pack. Yeah. Buy a coal pack for that M3. Right, yeah. You could you could buy enough coal packs for like four Kia Rios. Kia Rios. Yeah. All of them. Right. For the cost of that one in that. So, uh, you know, it, it's great. To, to It's very freeing. It's liberating to have that daily driver that's like that, though. I can hit a curve. I'm like, I hit a curve. It rains. So what? Right. <laughs> you know what? Somebody keyed it for whatever reason. Ah, it just adds character. Did that really it. happen? What? Someone actually keyed it? No, okay. but if you look <laughs> at the passenger door, it's got a nice dent that the previous owner put into it. Yeah. Um, my kids scratched the, the wing on the back of it. Yeah. Um, which was enough for me to scold them without punishing them for a month. Now, they do that to the M3. I may look at adoption options, but, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm kidding, of course. Yeah, but yeah. they did accidentally. There are two little dings on it where they have opened my their mother's, uh, my wife's uh, X1 door right into the side of it. Complete accidents. I can't get too mad about it, yeah. but they're still there. You yeah. know what I mean? So, uh, But you don't have to worry about that with the... Uh, with the the Rio, you know, it's uh, I took it to Talladega last weekend. Took yeah. it to the races, and it doesn't matter where you park. Dust and stuff just, just is going to get kicked up. Any yeah. any race you go to, right. you're going to leave with a filthy car. Didn't care. Doesn't matter. Did not care. Yep. I don't care if I had to drive through that ditch to get back to the interstate either. Right. I will do that in that car if I <laughs> if I mess something up. It's just messed up. If it ever gets to the point where I do crash, I may just leave it where it is with yeah. the keys in it. Yeah. Like, well, it's not my car anymore. Take the title and license plate out yeah. of it. And just oh, like, you're going to tow it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's yours. Right. <laughs> I'll right. mail you the title because the the amount to to get it out of the tow yard is probably more than the value of it. And I paid cash for that car too uh, last summer. Uh, again, right before the uh, the 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 real squeeze for cars came, I, I paid a. I think with tax, $2,300 on yeah. it. Unreal. How many miles? 
100. Now it's got 178,000 on it. Now. Okay. The guy before me, he did do the timing belt and all that, and I had the paperwork for it. So that was a huge weight off my shoulder, uh, you know, knowing that that had been done. Um, it cranks up. It runs like a top, you know. So yeah. I, I, I can't complain what it is. But uh, I'm a car like that. It's, I almost want to take it to see how far it will go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I had to, recently had to take a trip to South Georgia and back in the same day. And I was going down 65, and pedal to the metal, Le- left lane. You talk about eating some gas. It is a good fuel economy, up to 80 miles an hour. Then you would swear there's a hole in the fuel tank. Yeah. You know, because it's just like, we're, it's sweating it going How big is the fuel tank, too? Yeah, it, it, tiny. Yeah. A tiny. I yeah. mean, it's probably, I don't know, three cups. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, uh, full of it. And, uh, you know, rocks fall off dump trucks and scratch and stuff like that, but... Uh, it it, uh, it it doesn't it protests going so fast. You get a little bit of vibration. You know you don't you know don't yeah, want to be just that turn fast. the radio up a little bit. Yeah, just like humming, uh, that light coming on the dash. It, it's flashing for yeah. a reason, but it's just lets me know that I'm running. So yeah, no, I have a Christmas tree of a dash on my Volkswagen right now. <laughs> it's I've got three lights on. I honestly I have um, six. On so I've got wow the, uh, the check engine light which is for the diesel particulate filter so that's part of the emissions recall and everything that happened on them years ago um, and so that thing gets clogged up so fast and it just it basically is an O2 sensor fault Volkswagen will fix it and everything I just have to take it into them but um, apparently due to I've got larger I've got 18 inch wheels as opposed to the 16 inch that I had on them before mm-hmm. um, it will throw a cold uh, a code with the wheel speed sensor yep and uh-huh. so I've got a um, a steering uh, fault I've got an ABS fault I've got a stability control fault and a um, traction control fault on it and a low tire pressure fault <laughs> so and it's literally just a, but if I turn the car on I turn it off, give it 30 seconds, let the battery cycle, turn it back on, gone. Not, like, not there. Well, I, I bought a cheap OB2 reader just so I could turn the them off every now and then. But yeah. Mine's got the TPMS sensor light on, but the TPMS still works. And I know this because on a cold morning, every now and then I have one of the tires low, and it'll have right. a separate light for it. It'll tell me light. So I can't figure out why, why that TPMS light is on and why there are two separate ones for yeah. it. But anyway, that one's been on pretty much since day one. Uh, the check engine light comes on because I get random misfires. I, I replaced the PVC valve on it recently, which I was told was causing that. Well, guess what? It came back on. It doesn't affect performance. It's just every yeah. now and then I'll plug it in and say misfire, random misfire, cylinder one. Right. It probably Whatever. was a misfire that happened once, and it's corrected itself and fine and, now. And it's and, done, yeah. you know, but the light stays on. Right. But the one that recently came on, I decided one day, because I didn't have anything better to do, to detail the engine bay, which surprisingly was pretty clean already. But I detailed it. You know, I covered up all the electronics, well, at least I thought I did. I sprayed the proper cleaners on it and everything. Got it really nice, clean looking. Go in to crank up the car. Now the damn airbag light's on. I cannot figure out why the airbag light is on. Surely it shorted something in there. Right. I don't know if the airbag is going to work or not. But now that's a new light to join the, yeah. the foray. And, you know, we get the random ones that pop up every now and then. And I do all the maintenance on that car myself. The only thing I paid for <clears throat> is I was getting this weird vibration in the front it wasn't i knew it wasn't alignment it was something new it sounded like the bearing going bad in it but i checked them and i it was like hell the bearings look fine yeah you know i was, I, was looking, I couldn't figure it out so i took it to a local shop over here and i said guys whatever it is just fix it i can't figure it out it's driving me crazy it was it, it what would happen was to crank it up and it wouldn't be there and then as i go on it, this little hum would start but then i would stop 
and take off, and it would have the loudest hum. You could hear it all throughout the cabin, like whoa, whoa, whoa and yeah. I, I, it sounded like a bearing, but it wasn't. So they took the car apart, and they say, well, man, we can't find anything wrong with this. Are you sure? And I tell them, I say, look, here's what you're going to have to do. I give you permission. Take the car out on, like, a 30-mile loop. Yeah. Go out there, and about 15 minutes into it, I want you to apply the brakes a few times and see what it started. So they did that, and they heard it. They take it apart. Come to find out, it was a brake pad that cracked, and something in there was causing it to, like, when it got hot, it would get misaligned or something like that. And it was two. it was hitting it was hitting the the uh, almost like scraping on the the rotor in yeah. there. So he's like, "Yeah, you need new pads." And he's like, "You know, I'd go ahead, I'd get these rotors replaced too because it's done some damage to it." I said, "Fine, just go ahead and do that. Something I could easily do for like 150 bucks." Yeah. So six hundred dollars later, I got it done. But the great thing about it was I wasn't on my back in the garage. Yeah. Doing it, I had put enough time and effort just trying to diagnose the problem. So every now and then, I'm at a point in my life to where I'll just pay for it to get done. But uh, it was done. It's done right. So now it stops, you know, obviously better in that vibration's gone with it. But, you know, that's the great thing about these older cars. You can still work on them. The newer yeah. cars, you need a computer to do it. Right. Even the new Mustangs, if you take the clutch out and put the same clutch back in it, if you just unbolt it and stick it back together, it will throw a code on there that will not go away. And Ford has to re, uh, redo it or right. reflash it for you needlessly. Needlessly, you know, yeah, to do that. Right. Why even have that on there? I yeah, know, no, like, and yeah, I call the Volkswagen uh, dealership closest to me to be like, I need this service. I know what service it needs and everything, um, but I, I just need to confirm. Like, can you confirm that the the warranty on it, you know, is, is still applies and everything? It's a ten year, hundred thousand mile warranty from when I bought it. Right. So, um, I, I know it should totally be fine, but I just want to like confirm it and everything. And she was like, well. You, you need to schedule an appointment, and we can't diagnose or confirm anything until we have the car. And I'm like, well, you're going to you're gonna charge me a diagnostic fee, and I'm gonna, you're going to charge me something before I even know what, what yes. I'm getting into. It's like $120 just to plug it in. Yeah, right. You know I mean? and, I, and I've got a you know an OBD2 reader that I can plug in. I can figure it out real fast. I just I can't fix it, you know, and I just need to know that it, it can right. be handled. And Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, now these days they can, uh, with especially the newer cars, they can do it wirelessly. Like uh, yeah. Tesla can just be like, beep, right. beep, beep, oh, this is what it is. Uh, even with my BMW, I, I don't have the car physically with me. I could just hand them the key. They put the key in the machine, and the key has what's going on with the car in it, which wow. is really interesting that they can do that. Um, you know, uh, the newer the car, the easier it is to diagnose. But also, with that said, gets you stuck in the dealer stratosphere yeah because you know they're they're fighting this all the time they want to make it exclusive to the dealers and so far they've lost thanks to you know um efforts by sema and other uh ones that these private shops can still do it and still buy the equipment to do it but that's ultimately what they want to move towards they want to move towards that and subscription services which the public has been overwhelmingly against the subscription services there is no reason why bmw should turn off the heated seats in my car because i don't pay a monthly subscription to it right that is a gross money grab and i know i'm picking on bmw i drive one i love the car it's probably one of the best cars i've ever owned bar none period but that is a needless money grab just to keep siphoning money from me years and years after the purchase has been made if it's built into the car it should stay with the car. Now, they did have to backtrack on the Android Auto 
Remember right. for a while there, they were the only ones that were saying, "Oh, you got to pay us a monthly fee." Yeah, that was so unpopular. BMW well, just said they had Apple. Apple did it as well with BMW for a period. I don't know. If oh, they, they were exclusive. Now, but they were exclusive. Yeah. My that that sixteen is still exclusive to it. They actually have a retrofit that goes all the way back to the eighteens now. Mine's wow. a sixteen. Yeah. So I can't do it in mine now. There is a aftermarket uh, company that you can physically remove the screen to. And send it off, and they can do it. And I haven't done that because it's, frankly, not that important. But it's amazing that I have this high-tech phone with all these fantastic features on it. But I can't use them because back then it was still Apple exclusive, which I don't understand for the life of me why they were do exclusive. Even Hyundai, years before that, had both of them in there seamlessly. Right. You put it in the car. I remember I had uh, one time I had a rental Kia, and this is when I had two phones. I had a work phone and a... Uh, a private phone, and they were. It had the uh, Android Auto and the CarPlay in it. And you, every time you get in, it was like, well, "Wait a minute, which phone do you want?" Right. And I was like, "You make it so easy that I don't even have to tell you. Just automatically recognize they're in the car." You know what I mean? You're right. So uh, with the, uh, I can get certain features on the phone if I manually plug it in. Yeah. Which who wants to do I that? I know, it's, but it's, I still can't get the navigation, all the other stuff. Right. I can't get my uh, phone book to pull up or anything else to it, uh, the voice play and all that. Now, yeah. it's got the, the BMW auto in it where you could press the button and tell it certain commands, which I will tell you I've only used it twice just as a novelty. Yeah. It is so much easier for me just to tune right. to the station I want than to press the button and say it six times for you to hear it. You yeah. know, uh, yeah. play uh, Alt Nation, you know, right. like, what? <laughs> yeah. So uh, the the Apple's never an Apple BMW's never been on the cutting edge with that, and it makes it even worse when you don't have an iPhone in them. So yeah, uh, you know what? That's one problem my my one series never had because I didn't have the iDrive in it. I would argue that that interior on that vehicle, it, twenty years from now, is going to look better yes. than this M three one because it doesn't have a screen that is eventually going to look outdated. Right. It has a classic black dash. With the buttons and everything, it's beautiful in there. Yeah. Um, so it's timeless. You, it really doesn't age. But you get into some of this stuff like Cadillacs from even five or six years ago. Acura is the same way. You get that is like a damn Atari screen. In yeah. There. You're like, what is this pixel? Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, so. Mercedes is terrible with it. Their oh. their user interface for years was atrocious. Well, Cadillacs, you had dis- CDs. You had to do it depending on if you were east or west of the Mississippi. You had to physically remove a, a disc in there and stick another one in there. So crazy. And God forbid you lose those damn things. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? But they were trying to get technology that I think really wasn't ready for the car yet. Yeah. They were trying to be ahead of the game on that. And, uh, you know, I never got it to work right. I, I had a, um, what was it, a DTS for a while when I worked at Enterprise. Great, fun you know, car for what it was, yeah. big luxury car, which I think that they, they probably didn't get the credit that they want just because they're Cadillac and not Mercedes. But yeah. I, I remember ex- uh, I remember having to switch those stupid discs out and then waiting for the thing to reboot and all this other nonsense. You know, I, yeah. I, like, I can't believe that we're doing yeah. this. And this isn't an old car. This was, right. was post-2010, I believe, that they were still doing nonsense like that. But, you know, um, yeah. God forbid that stuff breaks. You're just right. 
it's it's trash. And like you, know you said, I mean? I mean, I guarantee most DTSs that are on the resale market probably don't have the discs with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's, it's gone. So, you know what? You just you, What you do is you take your little suction cup for your phone, and you stick it right on that damn screen, yep. and you attach your phone on top of it, and you're good to go, yeah. which is a lot, a lot of those will add. Yeah. yeah. If you really want to get an iPad mini <laughs> and do all that. Yeah. <laughs> do it. <laughs> right. Do it. I mean, with the mega screens you got in these vehicles now, which yeah. is a huge trend, you know, the first, uh, you know, Tesla really started that. And then Chrysler's like, well, we'll one-up you and have that big screen in the mouth. Now you got Mercedes with a screen all the way across it. When that, uh, what was it? Uh, it was the EQS or the new S-Class that was here. Uh, he's been out a bunch of times. Cars, he had the mega screen in it. The no, e- it was the EQS. EQS, yeah. yeah. We, we tried to figure out how many screens we could put navigation on in it. So if you include the heads-up display, yeah. it was, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. So you had the one in front of the driver, the one in the center, the one in front of the passenger, the two uh, rear passengers, and the heads-up display. You could run navigation so literally everybody Everyone in their car could know where we were and what we were doing. I thought that was so funny that yeah. you could do that on so many like you're yeah. never gonna get lost right even the guy in the rear passenger seat right. knows exactly where at you least are. they have it built in you know and they yep. probably have the same capabilities of having the radio accessible from all of them and yeah and i asked the uh mercedes engineer the, the gentleman that brings out all the pre-production vehicles and stuff like that which we've already seen the new c-class with the turbo four in it really it's been out yes uh fantastic little car uh you will miss the v8 rumble uh, but, but I don't want to give too much away for it because it is a pre-production car, yeah. and it's not my place. You know, I don't want to ruin the ability to have him back out. But he was telling me an interesting thing about the EQS versus the S-Class, and I said, well, why don't they offer this this beautiful screens in the EQS? I feel that it's a much better interior all around. This is beautiful. You know, yeah. it flows into the center right. console, and the, your pastor's got so much to look at. And he actually said, he's like, they're not going to do that because they want the S-Class to have a more timeless look. That's yeah. why they don't fill it with screens. And so I get that. Right. But dollar for dollar, if I was going to get one right now, that EQS, I mean, that what's the, is so what was the better. What's the range on it? Did, do you know if he, if he knew the range? Or? Uh, no, he had the loaded one. Okay. I mean, it was the, um, oh, man, I want to say, it, again, I'd have to Google this. I want to say it's like 325 or 350 okay. or something like that. That's it's on up there. Yeah, yeah. There are lesser models that get less uh, right. range, but this one, being that he is a Mercedes engineer, he gets to bring out a lot of the top dog stuff. Yeah. So we're really lucky that he's a – Local uh, and, and local comes by and an enthusiast. A car, yeah. So all his personal cars are Chrysler stuff. He's yeah. the one that has that lime green yep. Challenger. Yeah. He has a um, a PT Cruiser Turbo, which, <laughs> God bless him, that's yeah. an ugly, terrible-looking car, but he's a Mopar fan. Yeah. Uh, he has an SRT4, which okay. he has. Uh, he's very proud to tell you, and this is really cool. I, I, I commend him for this. He's got about 150,000 miles on it. And I want to say he's got a GLS, too, but don't quote me that. He's got one more, and it's just not coming to mind. Yeah. But when he can, uh, he'll bring out pre-production cars and let, let us crawl all over them, which yeah. is such a cool feature to have. Now, some of them we I remember when he brought by the uh, Maybach uh, oh, yeah. early on, yeah. Yeah. and, and yeah. looking around that thing was just so It's so wild. cool to crawl yeah. over that. Yeah. And he's, you know, granted, to be fair, he's like, please don't take photos of this or yep. this or whatever. Yep. And we won't. I always honor his uh, his commands. Uh, but you know, like when we had that EQS out here, I had a, uh, media company in India reach out to me about that. Yes. I actually posted on my Facebook page. Yeah. I was like, how about this? You know, I'm worldwide now. They, they asked me about the car and that stuff like that. And it actually says, 
you know, my name in the article at Birmingham Cars and Coffee. I was like, you can't pay for this. Right. Yeah. You know, so it was really cool seeing that. And yeah, he had the Maybach and he had the uh, the new small uh, electric SUV that was a European model out. It won't okay. come up to the States for a while. Most Americans don't even know that thing exists. exists yeah. And yet here it is at Birmingham, yeah. Alabama, Cars and Coffee. Yeah. You know and not, I mean? not the big monthly car event, just the All weekly right. one yeah. for anyone to come out to. And yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Now, uh, sometimes he'll break my heart. Like we had a C63S that was a, uh, a pre-production car. Yeah. The, the tip of the spear for the C63s. Right. It, uh, it was fully loaded, had every option on it. It was a weird brown color, if you can believe it, but whatever reason... They built it that. It was, you know, they, uh, they build full models to test everything out on it, and that's what they have to do to, you know, uh, to prove that they work. Yeah. So it was a pre-production model, and he said, yeah, when we're done with this in about two weeks, we're going to crush it. And I said, you're going to crush it? I was like, this has got leather. This has got right. the fancy wheels. This has got everything. He's like, yeah, and we can't pull anything off of it. He said, it has to go in the crusher with everything, including the floor mats. He's like, I've even asked, like, hey, can I just pull the battery out? That battery will fit my car. No. no. Every inch of that car has to go in the crusher as is because it doesn't have a VIN. Now, that one may have had a VIN on it. Some of them right. don't. But it, 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 they don't want the pre-productions going out. To ride in private hands because they're still testing parts. Yeah. If you have a part that doesn't work on there, you could be liable for something like that. Yeah, but I mean, floor mats and like you know. Like I will tell you personally that that car worked perfectly fine. Right, and a zero to sixty in that thing felt fantastically fast. Yeah, there are a few V8s that sound as good as 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 those did. Yeah. Um, and it was a shame to to know that it ultimately got out. But you know, the C sixty three was out, but that was a C sixty three S. Um, uh, Every bell, whistle, everything you could have, cutting edge at the time, and just to know where it went. You know, it's one of those kind of deals where you like, can you just leave it in the parking lot with the keys in it and say it got stolen? Right. We, we can make this disappear. Yeah. So, yeah, there's uh, no VIN. It's yeah, really easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think going to trace it. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. It'd be my luck. They had a uh, uh, computer in there tracking. But, you yeah. know, a lot of times when he does come out, he, when he pops the trunk, it'll have computer equipment strapped down in there yeah. and there'll be wires running to everything because they're che- and his j- main job is to check the the gps and stuff like that in it so sometimes they'll fly him out to california to collect the car from the port there to drive it to tuscaloosa and they do that just to put the miles on it and, you know and anytime yeah. the gps or something like that has a hiccup he has to document it and, and write down what it did where he was and what you know parameters were going on when yeah. it happened to, you know, just in case somebody was in a thunderstorm going through a construction zone and then the GPS yes, cut yeah, off. Yeah. You know, they had to try to replicate that and see what happened. So it's a really cool job. I know when he had the uh, the, the EQS, he uh, he drove all the way to Ohio or Michigan or somewhere in the northeast and then turned around and had to go, like, to Miami because this is where there's always, like, we want these amount of miles on it. We want this kind of stuff yeah. like that. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, you're driving around in this – car that you're going to pull up to the charging station people are going to look at him like what the hell is this right you, you can't really tell them you go like well i could tell you it's a mercedes but that's it or yeah. like that but when he comes out it's so funny how they'll they'll even put tape over the center caps of the the wheels because they have mercedes yeah. on it. they'll put it over the badge on the steering wheel and and the emblems and xyz and stuff like that but then there's no way you can cover up the headlights because the damn headlights say Mercedes Benz in them. Right. You know, so I was like, yeah, good job. Good luck getting away with you're, it. You're not going to do that. You know, and, and there have been ones that uh, that have come out that have had um, 
that a, that have he's actually had to put a tarp over. You know, yeah. so now uh, I'm not tell, getting him in trouble or telling any tales by doing this because he's not the only one that gets, drives that. He's just the only one that's an automotive enthusiast that yeah. comes out and, and shares it with the community. That's going to probably give exactly. some good feedback that that you know that he may be able to pass on to someone. You or, see you know. him on the road, like if you if you when I worked in Bessemer at Spec Clutch, I would come home in the afternoons and you would see a line of these. Yeah. wrapped cars right you know and you're like i know i know it's mercedes you yeah. know you're coming yeah. from the mercedes plant yeah exactly so it's not like he's the only one that's given around and they have to know when they're testing him in the wild they're they're getting photos and, oh, and stuff yeah. like that and you know granted not everybody can sit in one but uh you know uh it, it's really cool to to get to experience uh stuff like that and if you'll notice uh when there's anything like that that's out, I don't have the driver in the photo of <laughs> any right. of those. Yes. So. But, um, um, yeah. No, it's, uh, I I've, I miss this Cars and Coffee. Uh, I miss being able to come out to this. And like I said, there's nothing that happens weekly by me. And um, uh, thankfully, I met a, a property owner that has a parking lot that hopefully we can get something set up with. But I'm, you know, out of town most weekends. I wouldn't be able to host the cars and coffee at, at home this weekend if I'm here, you know, and stuff and like that. And that's one so. of the challenges that I think a lot of guys don't realize yeah. is that you got to have the you time. you got to have the consistent person there. To, yeah. yeah. And finding somebody to help you out with it is increasing. Right. I've got a few guys that I trust to keep an eye on things, but really and truly, they're not going to be the ones that police it. Yeah. You know, so... Uh, I've been reached out to by a couple of different individuals in different cities asking for advice, and I'm always willing to help them in any way that I can. But the number one fault that I see is that they don't develop relationships with the properties that they want to use. That's a huge thing. Yeah, either they don't, they flat out don't ask permission and just show up, which yeah. is the number one way to get kicked out, or they use it and then treat it like it's their own property, yeah. which includes burnouts and revving and all this other stuff. I was like, you you have to really foster that. Right? They have to like you in yes. order to keep you there. You have to. You also have to bring some type of value, right, to them. And I think that the value that we bring over here is a number of these restaurants that come over here. The guys you see, like for instance, the the fine biscuit. You see the cups. Yep. The coffee cups and yeah. the, the breakfast being eaten and stuff like that. You know, guys are actually going over there spending money. Cracker Barrel, same way. A lot yeah. of guys that. I have been to uh, Black Market, uh, yeah. you know, for, for lunch. And so those are – I'm not going to drive from my house yeah. to come over here and eat. That's a 30-minute drive. Right. That's not worth it for me. Yeah. I've got – I'm passing six dozen other places. However, every Saturday morning, you guaranteed I'm going to spend the money there. And they know that, and I told them that. Those are more eyeballs on the, the, the businesses over here. They're spending them peripherally and stuff like that. Yeah. And that was our thing when we were at Brookwood before they decided they didn't like car meets yeah. is um, – my wife and kids would come over there, and they would walk around the mall for literally an hour and a half. Yeah, while you were t- talking car. car Every people. time yeah. I ca- we leave, they had bags in their hand. They're spending money there. Yes. Well, you take away a hundred plus people in there. Granted, maybe twenty of them spent money, but that's yeah. still twenty more 20 that would you not have. exactly. Yeah. And so, um, you know, you have to tell the people, you know, and show some marketing value, and and you absolutely have to do as they wish i I, you know you don't want to bend the knee every time they ask for for some but you if you keep them happy they'll keep you happy and uh and i do feel that we've got a good relationship going over here and i want to keep it that way and that's one of the reasons why 
you know, when I see somebody uh, excessively revving or doing a burnout or something foolish where somebody could get hurt, something like that, because, you know, we do have a lot of young people that come out that are walking, even kids. I want to bring my daughters out here and walk around the park. I don't want them to have to worry about some guy right. doing a clutch drop and flattening them. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah so, exactly. And not to mention, it's just tacky. Yeah, you know, it's, it it's, is. You've heard one car rev, you've heard a thousand number rev. I'm sorry. I've said it. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool that your car is fast and sounds unique, but, right. you know, you can only hear a, a a Mustang or, honestly, sometimes Lamborghini, you know, mm-hmm. or yeah. what have you. I'm not picking on either one of those. Right. It's just saying. I mean, we heard an Ultimate Rev today. We don't really need to hear another one. We know what yeah. it sounds like. And even he didn't excessively do it. No. He revved it a few times to yeah. stop, which is fine. They don't have a problem with that. Right. But we've had guys come out here that just floor it until you've, you're like if you do that again, your engine's going to go through the stratosphere because you yeah. held it at nine thousand RPM for a minute, so. right? And that's not what we're really looking for uh, out here. Is uh, and I think that's a, you can t- contribute the discipline of it to the growth of it too. Yeah, a lot of these night meets around here don't work mm-hmm. because they're not disciplined. Right. You hear these stories of street racing or the police showing up. There was even one that had a shooting at it. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That's not the image. And when you have those kind of things happen, you ruin it for the bigger community. You don't hurt yourself. You 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 then place that on every car meet going forward. You know what I mean? So I am not the one to not encourage you to go to other meets like MCO or the Cars and Tacos, which I think those are great meets and stuff like that. I will always promote people doing their own thing. If one day somebody comes along and does this better than us, you know what? I will applaud you because it's not a competition. You know what I mean? But you have to be careful with who you're promoting and who they are that's doing it. It takes you about one time or five minutes of going there where you can tell whether it's your meet or not. If everybody's got their radios blasting, there's cars going 90 miles an hour in front of it, and there's people doing donuts in the corner, that's probably not the place you want to be. Right. You know, so... And you're not going to keep any property owners happy by, by doing that. Yeah. And you're going yeah. to end up hurting the bigger community because exactly. of it. So, yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, we, I've been really lucky. We've only had a few instances. You know, there's only been a few guys where we have, you know, at, politely asked them to, to, to not come back. And I, I've never approached it in a negative way. I've never called anybody out because that's not the way you do it. That's yeah. all, you, all you're doing is creating drama. It's right. a conversation right. between me and that other person. And, um, you know, if if they can if we can make amends and, and they can realize the situation, then they're welcome back. But some of these guys just get so bullheaded mm. to where they think that, oh, I did this and they kicked me out. And then they go and they can trash talk you and the, the meat right. and all this other stuff. And I know I'm not unique in that. Yeah. I've personally I've, talked I've, to the owners of some of these other meats and they have gone through the same situation. Yeah. There's always going to be a bad apple. Yeah, it, but you have to you have to bite your lip, and you don't respond. You let it die down. Yeah. You let it temper itself out, because yeah. otherwise you're going to get in a flame war online, and it's going to make both parties look dumb. Yeah. It's better to have one person, you know, yeah. do it. So, yeah. um, 
Well, we're we're baking in the sun now, so yes, yes. it has gotten hot. The yeah. uh, the hatch is, is no longer covering us, but yeah. it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, I enjoyed Thanks. having uh, the conversation with you. Yeah, glad to see you out this Thank morning, you. Thank and you. I enjoyed breakfast with it. You'll have to let me know when this comes out. Yeah, hopefully, uh, I try to get them out. I try to schedule them for Sunday morning after I record. So hopefully, I can get it all edited and put together and and get scheduled for tomorrow morning. Well, so. cool. Yeah. yeah, just let me know uh, to anybody listening. Uh, you know, if you're in the Birmingham area, it's Birmingham Cars and Coffee. We're at the Colonnade, eight thirty yeah. to ten thirty every Saturday morning. Uh, if you need more information, just DM the page or, or through Instagram or, or Facebook. Very casual meet. Don't feel like you have to have a hundred thousand dollar vehicle to show up. Right. We are. Uh, we welcome everyone and your families. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, come out, say hey. My name is Josh. <laughs> yeah. and, and he has the yellow M3. If you have questions, <laughs> yeah. you can talk to him. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, BMW calls it yellow. is more of a gold color, yeah. but yeah. you know what? I love it. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Um, but cool. Th- thanks, for, thanks for chatting with me and everything. And Absolutely. I, it was a blast. I look Glad forward to, to being back up here next time. So, awesome. Thanks. <laughs>